How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 103 of How About That Cigar Live on a special Saturday edition. We're so grateful for you guys that you are here with us watching and listening as always. If you're listening on the audio podcast after the fact, you guys are super special to us for watching or for listening to the audio podcast while you're driving down the road, working out, whatever it is you do when you listen to your favorite audio podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here live in the Drew Estates Cigar Studios. And as always, Drew Estates sponsors this show, and we want to tell you about the new packaging design for the famed Undercrown brand. A decade ago, the staff at the Drew Estate Factory realized they had to reduce their consumption of Liga Pravada Number no. 9 cigars in order to keep up with consumer demand. These hardworking men and women in Esteli then created their own signature cigar to enjoy. Constructed with many of the same rare tobaccos found in Liga Pravada, the grassroots Undercrown cigar brand debuted, followed by Undercrown Shade, and then the Undercrown Crown Sungrown. The new boxes for Undercrown Shade and Maduro are shipping now with Undercrown Sungrown soon to follow. For more info, please visit DrewEstate.com. So, a uh, special Saturday show. We love having special Saturday shows. We do. Absolutely. And it's been uh, it's been quite a week, uh, kind of a two-week run of me having crazy long days, working full work days, and then working after hours, doing stuff like that. I know you've yeah. kind of been in the same boat. I have. Yeah, it has been a, a just a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, work has been really busy. We've had some cool stuff happening on the show. and But busy is good. I'd rather be too busy than not busy at all yeah amen to that it's it's uh but it, it's kind of been fun uh, the last day or so there's so apparently there's a great big boat that's stuck somewhere <laughs> so <laughs> the, and, and honestly i mean it is it is a tough situation you know having that uh, that uh that cargo ship stuck in the Suez Canal, but but sometimes you have to find the funny in in rough situations. And some of the some of the comedy that's been coming out online about this uh, this cargo ship being stuck, uh, honestly, it's it's kind of gotten me through the week. It it drew a penis. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. So so that you you see that Garrett showed me the 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 uh, picture of the GPS uh, mapping from this ship, and it actually. Yeah, just look it up. Google it. So good. It's just absolutely. You, you can't, can't make it up. You can't make it up. It's it's fantastic. Oh. Um. So you know, we usually talk a little bit of small talk, a little bit of sports. There's really not a big amount of sports stuff going on right now. Uh, at least, I mean, yeah, not not as far as stuff that we really get into. So no. we don't have a lot of that. And plus, the special guest that we have on the show today we want to just give as much time as possible to. Uh, so we're going to dive right into it. And as always, guys, on How About That Cigar Live, special guests of the show are brought to you by Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, President and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz, believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com. 
and floridasungrown.com. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, if you would please put your hands together for the late for the great Carlito Fuente. Hello, well, my friend. Good, good to see you, Matt. Good to see you, Garrett. And uh, you. just want to say hello to all your fans of How About, How About That Cigar. And, uh, of course, to my dear colleagues and friends, your sponsor, you know, Drew Estates, you know, love Jonathan and uh, Jeff Borsowitz. And we're, I guess, from the neighborhood, you could say, you know, and um, just great people. So it's, it's good to be part of your world. Well, we are we are just beyond grateful and excited to have you on the show. I uh, for for some of my family and and friends who are who are not into premium cigars, uh, trying to explain to them you, you know what it means to us to have to have you on the show. I said I said if if we did a podcast about Star Trek, we just got William Shatner as a guest on the show. So we're grateful. Yep. I, you know what? I was waiting to, that you were going to mention Spock. You know, <laughs> no, I guess, no. Maybe it's a green shirt. You know, it's, yeah. maybe it's a green. But uh, no, I, I think I have my ears covered anyway. But uh, now, listen, I, I, I appreciate that. That's very generous and a, and a very generous description. I've always said to myself that, you know, I'm just a humble cigar maker. You know, born in that little wooden house in Ybor City. I just blessed to have been born in such a wonderful world of tobacco and cigars at such an incredible time that, you know, that is, a, is such a great part of my memory of my heart and all the great people that surrounded me in my early days and everything is just part of my life. And it is something that I just want to keep sharing and, and letting the younger generation know what this industry was like in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties. And, um, you know, it's, I'm just I'm just a very fortunate and blessed man. You know, I've been surrounded with so many wonderful, lovable people in the best industry of the world. Yeah. Which, you know, which is which which is composed or consists just that just yeah. wonderful people. Yeah. We, you, we, you know, and I, and I, I don't want to interrupt you, Matt, but let me just say uh, you cannot be in this world and be successful if you don't love people. In yeah. the cigar industry, I'm referring to, because it's not it's not like a IT person, not that anything against them, because they they all enjoy our cigars and you know so forth. But this is the world of people. You know, it takes. We've heard it so many times: 300, 400 pair of human hands that goes through every you know from every step from beginning to end before cigars enjoyed. It's a community that requires so much, and it's in the farming aspect, the agriculture. And, you know, and the manufacturing and every, it's all so much hand involved in human element plays such a big part that unless you love human beings and you love to be around them and you love to be close to them, you know, and you're not afraid of that personal contact and that hug and what, what this, then you will not make it in the cigar industry. So that's, I think that's one of the elements that's really made our industry so special that I identify with all my peers is that love they have and that respect and admiration they have for everyone who works side by side with them, for their customers, their retailers, their brick and mortar, and also for every consumer that they have a chance to reach out to or a consumer has a chance to reach out. There's this communication that bonds us all together. It's a magical world. Yeah. I agree that there is a intimacy that happens within the cigar community that I don't see anywhere else. 
Yeah. And it is a, we say it all the time. Cigar people are the best people. Yeah. I love that. We should make a t-shirt or you should. (laughs) Cigar people are the best people. Yeah. Copyrighted. That's right. (laughs) So, so going back through. Liana, Liana, Liana. I hope you're listening, Liana. Yes. (laughs) So we've been, um, I mean, fans of your, your brand, your family for years and, and been fortunate to get to watch some documentaries about your family, some interviews and things like that over the years with you and other family members. And just the, this is one of those, this is one of those companies that is truly a family company going all the way back to 1902, you know, and then, and then all the different steps along the way, the milestones for, for the, the Fuente cigar company, you know, from, you know, your grandfather starting, uh, you know, coming to this country at age 12 and then, you know, starting a little factory at, at age 24 and, you know, all the things that, that led through that to the hardships. And, and uh, one thing, I don't know if a lot of people realize that, that you guys, you know, you and your, and your father before you, uh, you guys got, got knocked down a lot, but you always, always got back up again. And just talk to us a little bit about that family history and, and what it means to you just to, you know, to always through working together as a family, always persevering over those those hardships that you had. Well, my friend, you know, this is a topic that is asked a lot of me. And uh, in each time, the answer will be the same. But each time it will bring out a different memory because each time is from the heart, it's from the memory and spontaneous. But you just made me realize if you're are blessed to be born in the baseball world, the son of Babe Ruth, after what Babe Ruth had accomplished in his time, mm. your life is not going to be an easy life. Mm. It's uh, the expectation of you is going to be, you know, so big and, and uh, they're going to expect, you know, for you to be, they want to see how you compare to your father. Yeah. And um, I've always said that, my goal in life, my dream has always been to follow my father's footsteps. I don't anticipate to fill his shoes. Um, I don't think that, you know, that's going to be humanly possible. Different times, uh, different people. And, but I am a chip off the block. And going back, you know, we, my father and I used to speak about this. It was scary because do you have a light? He said, okay, get, never say you know, Spanish fuego, never mention fire. That fire is a four letter word. It's not yeah. the only four letter word in, <laughs> in the dictionary. And fuck, let me tell you something. We've gone through <laughs> hell and back. Yeah. But, but in the history of, uh, did I say that? No, please. Edit no, that. no, no. Okay. No, I, I'm glad I'm glad I didn't. You know, I, I thought that no. though. Yeah, <laughs> it no, went through my mind. No censorship here. You say what you got to say. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. This is another program from Switzerland, right? Yeah. But. <laughs> But uh, no, this is fun, man. I'm enjoying it. But, but yes, um, fire. My father, and I used to talk eight fire, eight major fires in the history of our family that has really set us back and destroyed us during the time when things always happens in a time when things seem to be like, wow. Now this is I got to win. We got to win behind our back. The sales are open, and we're moving forward. All this work is starting to pay off. There's been a fire. And um, 
started in 1924 when my grandfather was a very young man. As you mentioned, you know, he came from with the, you know, just the clothes on his back, like so many families that came from Cuba at that time, uh, went from Havana to Key West and started making cigars there working at the age of 15 so that he could send a few dollars back at the end of the month to his family who were tobacco growers or growing tobacco. But it wasn't tobacco like for big factories and things like that. It was not, that was after a Spanish-American war. So they were growing tobacco so they could make cigars, the, the brothers the, and the neighbors, and they could sell in little packets locally to the, to the military, the soldier, and just be able to feed the family. So my grandfather migrated to Key West so, you know, he could save a few dollars. At the age of 15, he worked at the Gato factory, which is a historical museum today of the cigar industry. And I'm very proud that we have, we are pioneers of that era. My grandfather lived there and everything. And as a matter of fact, in 706 Elizabeth Street in, in the old Key West in Gatoville, there's a house where my grandfather first lived there who he rented at the age of 15. And there's a park with a big cigar uh, to the honor of the first immigrants and the cigar makers with a big uh, tribute to my grandfather. So, mm. you know, and then in 1920, he's in Tampa and it, it's 500 cigar makers. He's the best. Of, he's doing well. He's becoming a real businessman. And uh, he had a business partner, which is uh, Victor Diaz. You know, I remember I, I said earlier, I like to really talk about history and I like to recall the past. Victor Diaz was my grandfather's partner. Victor Diaz was the finance, uh, I would say, entrepreneur and the businessman. And my grandfather was a tobacco man. He was the one that's in charge of blending, making the cigars or buying the tobacco. And you know who Victor Diaz was? Hmm. This is, a lot of people don't know this. But Victor Diaz is the great grandfather of Janito Oliva the uh -huh. great rapper grower of Ecuador. Yeah. Of Johnito Oliva, John Oliva Sr.'s son. This was John Oliva Sr.'s grandfather on his mother's side. Hmm. So that's how long families from these old worlds are intertwined and work together. And while my grandfather was in Cuba, he spent months there during the tobacco season because that was a responsibility. The crops, it was a lot different. They had ferries in those days. You had to bring the tobacco, you had to set it, make sure it's packed properly and everything. During one of his visits to Cuba, he gets a call from, from Victor, from his partner, and he says, Arturo, we lost everything. Mm. There was a big fire. The factory burned down the ground. We had nothing. We lost everything. Victor Diaz was a very wealthy man. My father, my grandfather had acquired a lot of land. In, in, during those days, but the land was, was what probably for five dollars you bought an acre in the center of Tampa. You know, it's, you got to think about everything is relative in those days. Yeah. But but today, well, you know, thank God that, that that my grandfather it was such a proud man that he refused to file bankruptcy because he lost everything. He had to sell all his land and everything. Thank God he did. Okay. Thank God he did because if we would own that land today. I may have never been in the cigar business. I might have been sailing around the world in a sailboat or something, you know, and I wouldn't have been a happy man. I would just been, you know, and, and nobody would have remembered history. Yeah. But things happen for a reason. But anyway, moving forward, we, you know, you have the you had the Great Depression, the first world, you know, yeah, Second World War, First World War. It's just been one thing after another, fires, then we went, 
you know, we had a, the you know, Cuban embargo, which was one of the great first crises. There was others, of course. You had the depression. You had so many things that happened, and and you know, they, we had there's so many situations. But the first big, real, real crisis that changed the world, as we know it, is the United States of America and the cigar industry was a, it was a Cuban embargo, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was one thing that we survived that, of course, like like everyone who, but not many people survived that. At one time, there were so many factories in Tampa. Tampa, people, a lot of people are not aware of. I grew up in, I was born in 1954, and I grew up in a community where they were on our block. <laughs> there, there was a big brick, four-story brick factory behind us. It was almost a whole block. They got the whole half of the other block. Across the street was another one. There were factories all over. Yeah. And in, in between those blocks, there were three or four houses that part of the house was this little cigar factory. I mean, the community was just everything was cigars. At one time, Tampa, Ybor City made 500 million cigars with Havana tobacco. Damn. That's a lot of cigars. Think about it. So, uh, you know, you get the first big crisis. There's no more resources. The embargo comes and everything. You know, so we... It, we were forced to go around. We went to uh, Nicaragua. We had another. Re- we had uh, the revolution. Lost a factory in 1978, and then we went to Honduras. There was another fire. This time it wasn't a revolution. It was an accident. Come to the Dominican Republic. You know, my father started with seven and seven people. At you know, the first word was going to come out of my mouth a few moments ago was employees. Seven employees. You know, I hate the word employees. <laughs> you know. Yeah. These seven people, the only people my father knew in the Dominican Republic, they yeah. were his immediate family at that one point. One was a carpenter. So he, found, he went out looking out, scouting for some, some person that was a carpenter. And one was someone who knew a little bit about electricity. But he started building this factory. He started teaching these people. They became supervisors. Many of them were with us for 30 years. And one gentleman just last year, uh, Rafael Jimenez, we call them cariñosamente. Uh, I don't know why in this country, whatever your name is on birth certificate is not what you're known as. You, somebody, Everybody has nicknames. I don't know why. <laughs> but Rafael Jimenez Pedrito, our Pedrito. Pedrito was with us for 40 years and just retired. Wow. And he was already 78 or whatever. And just, you know, it's part of the family. And you go seeing these things, how you come here and struggle. And listen, since we've been here, there's been one thing after another. We've had major fires, lost 1,800 bales of tobacco that it was, you know, destined for a 100th anniversary cigar. It went up in, in the smoke and flames. And that was my inspiration for Angel Share. And, you know, we could be on for hours and hours and hours. And, 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 and you know, Chateau La Fuente, that was one of our biggest challenges of, of all. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to go rappers in the Dominican Republic, it, we even were in a lawsuit yeah. with, with, you know, the Rothschilds and the Mandavis and everything. And everything was it was motivated by a jealous cigar company that Fuente was getting too much recognition and, you know, it had to stop us. Yeah. But it it's, you know, all these things. I Hurricane George's farm was destroyed, floods, it just one thing after another. And the only thing that I know of, I've always said before, I just, 
I was blessed to have a strong father who, who the word, what the word if or the word impossible, I can't, didn't exist in his vocabulary. He was a, a man small in stature, but you couldn't measure his heart because you had to measure it from above his knee and below his waist. That's where you, that's where he wore his heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was a man's man. And um, uh, a boy that the age of eight years old had polio and they, they predicted he would never walk again. He had to leave school and he struggled for years just going through therapy, trying to walk and say, I will walk, I will walk, I will walk, I will walk, I will walk. A self-taught man who ended up balancing our, all our books of the company before he turned into a CPA because he found too many mistakes that the, the best CPAs in the state were making. And some of those mistakes that were just a penny off that they would put in a suspense account. Our father would go back and look for it and end up being $80,000 when he didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you talk, when you talk about things like that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that when you have that kind of example, it's, it's like I said, Babe Ruth, it's impossible to, to, to fulfill those shoes, but I love the follow first step. And there's one challenge after another. Yeah. Always have been. But my greatest crisis, and you know what? Now that I look back at it, first of all, I wanted to say, listen, I'm not Superman. I'm a weak person. I'm a crier. I'm emo- I get emotional because don't forget, my father's Carlos Arturo Fuente, but I'm also have the DNA and the genes of my mom, Ana Lopez. Ana Lopez, God rest her soul, who passed just five months before my father. What she did, my father was. They were together since they were 14 years of age. Mm. And they were married when they were 17 going on 18. And I was born when my father was 18 years old and 11 months and three weeks. You know, and, it, and you look at these things and everything. And, and, and like I said, you know. I have a lot of my mom also. She was a person that, you know, the little birdies used to eat out of her hand and so did other squirrels and so forth. I always call her my Snow White. But talking about crisis and so forth, I mentioned that because I'm not Superman and I'm nobody that I just have great. I have this. I think that my inspiration comes from the respect, the admiration, the love, the determination that I just... I'm going to die for this. Okay. I know that. Yeah. I'm going to give my life for this. It's to pay respect to my grandparents, to my uncles and aunts, to everybody who's worked side by side with our family, to my mom, to my dad, for, for everything, for all their sacrifices. Um, it's, you know, and talk about crisis and, and to me, crisis have become, you know, opportunities. Yeah. And uh, during, um, I don't know if this is a, a program for motivation or whatever it is. It's supposed to be about cigars. <laughs> Let me buckle up. But anyway, you guys bring this out of me, and um, and I appreciate it. And I like to. I really want people to remember and know and respect whoever you are, where we come from, who were there before us. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you know, crisis. The biggest crisis of my life was having to live after my father without my father. Hmm. 
That's been the that's the that's the crisis that's the crisis that I've uh, I've gone through. I will never get through it, but I've already gone through it. And as a young boy, nothing terrorized me more. No boogeyman, no monster terrorized me more than the day in my mind that I would be without my father. I thought it would be many years from now, actually. I thought my father was a little to be 90-something years old. He was a strong man. Yeah. And my grandfather had to be 85. And everybody in the industry that I know, all the, the greats of the greats of the industry lived to be 90 years old because my father always said to my sister, Cynthia, and all the family, my mom and everything, listen, when I get to 90, do not celebrate my 90th birthday. Wait for my 91st. Because everybody, the great the, the, Edgar Coleman, Frank Anessa from Villazon, I mean, everybody, the old school, Stanford Newman. I could go on and on and on, on uh, and on and on. Mr. Oliva, all they all yeah. get it. They celebrate the 90th birthday. Yeah. It was it's a big accomplishment, 90th birthday, tobacco industry. Blah, blah. And I've been to so many of those 90th birthday parties, and you see a lot of them in canes and everything, and talking about, hey, you know, I'm, I used to make the best cigars in the world. <laughs> These young people screwing everything up. I used to, and you hear, I remember going to those parties. Yeah. So my father said, don't celebrate my 90th, celebrate my 91st. And he lived to be 81. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you talk about crisis, that was the biggest crisis in my life. But yeah. during the crisis, during every crisis of our life, We've gotten stronger, and we've been able to. We be, we became creative. We were forced, forced to dig underneath and find whatever wasn't there to do something. And and I know that in my forty years here in the Dominican Republic, because that's really the history, where because before that there was no cigar aficionado, there was no internet, you know. Think about that. I've been here now for 41 years, living in the Dominican Republic. Before that, there was no communication. So people didn't really know the history of everything. So people started knowing a little bit about Carlito probably in the 90s. Mm -hmm. In those years, that seems like yesterday for some, for me, seems like yesterday. For many, it might seem a lifetime ago because everything is relative. In those years, we've gone through a lot of trials and tribulations. But everyone... Every one of those trials, tribulations, because of the examples of my father and my grandfather and the love of the family being together, we have been able to overcome it, not only overcome it and survive, but prosper. Yeah. And um, there's so many things that come out of all these fires that it's incredible. And well, it's, it's, just, it's just, it's just uh, ironic that you cannot enjoy a cigar without fire. Yeah. It, and you have... You have such a uh, humility and a grace, and and also an, a deep appreciation for what you have and how you were what what you were brought up into, and a lot of that really comes from. And anybody who's been through any hard times and come through the other side of it knows that those things the the humility and the grace and the 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 appreciation comes from the, it comes from the hard times being able to live through it. And, and you, you, you really do. If, if you put your mind to it and you put the work in, which you have, 
you come out the other side of it stronger and with a deeper appreciation and humility for everything. And you're an, you are an example of that. There's, uh, there's no doubt about that. Your words are true. Uh, am I an example of that? I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor of that. And, um, that's where the humility comes in. Cause you know what? The rug could be pulled on off from under me at any second has happened before. And to be honest with you, I don't want my kids to think that I'm getting old or I'm getting weak. I want them to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And I want them to, if, if hopefully someday they listen to this program, if, they, if they're able to, I want them to get stronger and understand that in life, you're dealt with the different cards. You know, it's like a poker game. You're dealt with different situations, different cards. You gotta believe in yourself. And everything that you planted before, all the love, all the seeds of hope, all the seeds of dreams, someday you'll be able to harvest those flowers. Mm -hmm. And um, it comes with honesty. It comes with integrity. It comes with consistency. Because when you're down, there are people there that will support you. That's why I say this business is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's about relationships, but it's also relationships that works both ways. A steering wheel, you're driving down the street, but you can't go to one side only and the other side. And it works the same way with relationships. It's all. It's not about receiving. It's about giving. Yeah. It's about things that when, they, when they're needed, you're there to support each other. And to our most difficult times, we have had families who've been with us for generations, tobacco giants who have supported us. But also, when they lost everything with the embargo in Nicaragua, back in, um, you know, back in the 80s, and... Um, and oh, before anything that happened, the Fuente family was there to support them wherever they went and whatever they did. And these things today have paid big dividends. That's why I think it's so important. If, you know, as I hear from Jose Blanco so many times, and everybody knows Jose Blanco, maybe if they don't know him, I'm going to say the professor. They know who the professor is. Yeah, there you go. And um, like he says, he says, you know what? I'm certain there's people that know more than me about tobacco, which that we that's disputable. <laughs> yeah, that's debatable. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but he says, but the difference is, and this is what I love about him, that men, most of those people are going to take it to the grave with them. And that's the way it was in the old days, the old school, the jealousy, the this, the real competitive spirit and things like that. Listen, I'd love to talk about that if you bring it up a little later in the in the in this in the um, in this in the show but he says but the difference is that i want to share it with everybody who wants to hear it yeah. and wants to learn and to me that's so precious so valuable it's truly what i i'm very grateful for this opportunity that we're having today and the opportunities of our show meet the professor um that in the very beginning of the pandemic, I didn't even own a laptop. I'm on a laptop now. I didn't own a laptop, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, they, we've, got, we've got to start. A sh- we just do a show. we got to be able to communicate. 
and the people that I've met, the relationships that have been built with people I haven't hugged yet, but I already, I just had a conversation today, listen, that I'm going to put that in. I want it, I want it inscripted on my gravestone <laughs> with this beautiful woman from Lebanon who is so beautiful. And, and she's just special and everything. And she just promoted our cigars and had took a photograph. And I said, this, I'm looking forward to that. I could go to Lebanon. I had just had a big uh, interview with a group of friends from Lebanon. And I hear such a great place. I go to Dubai often. Dubai is my, like my second home because we do events. We have great relationships there. It all started with our relationship with Hublot because Dubai was a launching place for, you know, it's all the great luxury products and everything. And I have family there. I mean, really family are, you know, uh, just so many people, Muhammad, Ferris, I mean, this, John Gallo. I mean, the, well, these are people who have become my f- friends, friends who we speak to every week, you know, every, every week we say hello to each other. And, and I said, I'm dying to go to Lebanon. All this has happened since the pandemic. And also the most difficult time another crisis that i went through is i'm going through now trying to get out of it the pandemic has not been that good to me it's been very hard on me emotionally it's been very hard on me being closed down for three months people you know being so back ordered uh but that's that's the after effects what really hit me is that when i was locked down in the dominican republic because i had a choice do I leave now or do I wait? And they said this was the last flights, the last American flights leaving. Mm-hmm. This is a lockdown. I told Mr. Sosa, who's 82 years old, <laughs> and, and right now he's at the factory, but the factory's working today. Yeah. I am not with him having lunch and being with him right now in the factory and trying blends and this and that because I had this show and I wanted to come back, take a shower. And um, and be on the show, but 82 years old. I remember saying, "Our great master blender, a man that generational from Cuba, the old school, one of the old real true people, doesn't speak much, would never get interviewed because he's not proud of his English." But I love it when he speaks English. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's there. And I remember the last flight. I said, "Juan." And affectionately, everybody knows us, Juanito, Juanito Sosa. Juan, you got to go home. It's time for you to go home. What are you going to do? Juan, I can't leave. I have to stay here with the people. You go home. I want you. He refused to go home. Relationships, my friend. Yes. And that's what it's all about. And this gentleman, who's now 82 years old, it's today at the factory watching everything because we're working Saturdays, hoping, trying to catch up. Yeah. But it goes to show you it's that love, it's that affection, that relationship, that family, which may not be your own blood, but becomes stronger than many of those or some of those that could be your own blood. It's about family. It's about relationship, about integrity. It's about being together when it's difficult times and being together when it's good times. Yeah. And not forgetting where you come from. That's right. So, so the reason I bring that up because I said, Juan, you got to leave. And he was here for three months and we we're both locked down. And the pandemic was not easy for me because I heard the news from the States. That's all I could do is watch the news. There was nothing else to do. Lockdown. 
for the first couple of days, it was pretty cool. You know, you're watching a movie and everything, but I stopped watching movies, started watching the news. So you start watching the news and you get addicted to this stuff. What's going on next, this and that. And I really got in such a deep state of depression because I thought to myself, my God, people have been with me for, for decades when I, I have no communication with them right now. You know, many cigar makers, many blenders, many people in our industry, many people in our, in our, our company, you know, we have a, close to 3,000 people who work with us be, between one thing and the other here in the Dominican Republic. Half of them may not be around if you listen to news coming every day out of New York. Half of them might not be around when I open a factory. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? How am I going to support Cigar Family Trouble Foundation with our production? How am I going to support, uh, you know, all our, the people of our, in our company in the brick and mortar? You know, all these things started weighing heavily on me without an answer because I already knew we had, I mean, in the back of my mind, think of all the fires and think of all the things my family's gone through. But you know what, my friend? we've gotten through that. We've survived. We've done very well. We restructured everything. We are back in track on production, but we lost three months. Don't forget. Yeah. And um, I think that through all crises, we come back stronger and more united than ever. And I think not the stronger, the more united, because I tell you something, through shows like yours and all the other podcasts, we I am so isolated in Dominican Republic. And it's been maybe, I just I just heard a, a, a rerun of a show I did with Abe on KMA. And you know what? And when I, I listened to it, it was an incredible interview, incredible. I really touched subjects that it was just really good. And I go back and listen to that and I, I, I realize Every, everything has a reason, a purpose. And this, we're going to be more united than ever because seeing many shows like this, I didn't see my colleagues in the industry unless we're in a confrontation of different points of view trying to defend the industry, whether it's S-chip, whether it's, whether it's for you know FDA or this or that, or we're in a convention together or we're all individually in a big promotional thing, individual, everybody's trying to do their thing, and we say hello to each other, bye-bye, this and that. Or we go to a trade show, and we see each other, and we say hello. We, there's admiration, I'm sure, like I have for everybody. We say hello, and genuinely, how are your kids, and this and that, bye-bye. That's it. But watching these podcasts, watching these shows as the ones that you do and everyone else, I do. I listen to my colleagues speaking because there's nothing else for me to do when I was locked down. And I go, Oh my God, there's so many similarities. We have so much in common. Yeah. And, and I see, you know, and they, they have the same principle, the same value, the same values about family is this and the things they've gone through and their struggles and this and the creativity, you know what? It just brought us all closer together. Yeah. And I know, I know, Within a couple of months, when we're able to be together again, maybe it's next year, whenever it is, the hugs are going to be much more genuine. They're going to be much more profound, and they're going to be hugs that we're not going to want to let go. That's right. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Carlito, it's clear in all the 
you know, all the interviews that you've done, all the articles that have been written that, and, and even here today, how important relationships and people are to you. The, the phrase that you continue to say that resonated with me, it's not about the cigar, it's about the people. That means the world to, I know both Matt and I, and it shows in the product that you put out and the culture in which you've created in not only the cigar industry, but also within Chateau Fuente. And um, that's just an amazing thing. Thank you, Garrett. No, I, I definitely agree. And I think people are, are beginning to understand. I come from a different world of the 60s and the 70s when manufacturers did not have an opportunity to meet the people who enjoy their cigars. Not in the way that we do today. You know, we live in a blessed world. I mean, back in the 70s, you were brand loyal, 60s or 50s, or, but you didn't know who made the cigar or anything. You just knew the brand and you were brand loyal. You would go and you would buy a box every week or whatever you did in the corner or whatever it was. Today's a different world. It's just like people know who their chefs are, their favorite right. chef. They know who their winemakers are. Yeah. You know, who, they know the maker of their bourbons. They know the make, you know, if the spirits or, you know, it's, the world has changed and it's, it's a blessing for us. And it really is. Listen, I, I, like I said, if you don't love people, you will not survive in the world we're in, not in this industry. So not, people. I, I, absolutely. And that brings me to, you know, already you've talked about several people that have either been with you for many years. Um, before I ask that question, if we could ask, what are you smoking? And where can we get it? <laughs> you, uh, okay, you know what? Uh, you got to have certain secrets because if not, you know, you you you. you mm-hmm. no, seriously, you can't get it because nobody could get it. Not yeah. yet. This is uh, this is a prototype, a cigar that's in production that I just keep tasting and seeing how it's developing. Uh, okay. That's- you know, you could, I know it's going on a couple. We're talking, but and so far, what are you thinking? I think it's too short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, it's everything's relative, so it's taste and everything. But yeah, this is a prototype of a new Don Carlos size we're making. Um, Ooh. and um, so it's got the Cameroon, it's got the, the Cameroon Marafel Cameroon. And I know how special Cameroon, I know the relationship. I mean, we talk about this many times. People are, the, ten, the tendency is to go to thicker, 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 bigger, 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 bigger. Yeah. Bigger. And when you have, when, when the wrapper is so important on the cigar, I believe that I was taught that by old school, okay? I, I could go back stories about wrappers and things like that. What I was taught by, by the real, real, the Cuban masters, I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm not saying that the ones now, uh, because I learned one thing from from indirectly, I don't say, because what the Cuban masters were saying while they worked under the Cuban government was what they were told they had to say. Right. But once they're not working with them and they're on their own, they go back and you know what? It's not much difference than what I was taught by the old school masters mm-hmm. because they know. But um, this is a cigar, African Cameroon, 
It's a Lancero tie, but it's got a little bit more ring, just a little bit more. They get the perfect balance. I just want to work out because I want people to realize. And I think things go in cycle. We're going to go back to old school. Yes. Where you get the balance. There is a reason. Let me tell you, my friends. Let me just tell you, my friends. I want to say something about there is a reason why cigars, the most popular cigars were five and a half by 42 or or six and a half by 44. Each. You know, six. There was a reason because the tobacco plant, those old timers who lived in that farm, they didn't have TVs. They spend their life for taste and knowing the proportion of the leaves, how to make the cigars taste better so they could survive. They had to compete with taste, yep. not dollars and cents. Not marketing companies dictating to a manufacturer or to or a government dictating to a factory what cigars have to make or whatever, or a big multinational corporation who has numbers people looking, look, this is what's selling the market's going this way. Because after all, the truth is, I've learned this, and I'm going to tell you something, something I never, I think I never said it publicly, but you remember I said this important is documented because maybe one day one of my great-great-grandchildren might see this. I learned something that <laughs> many years ago, or it's not that long ago, but for you it will be many years ago. I remember that when the first cigar aficionado came out, Marvin Shankin and everything, well, you know, the first first year that we were kind of getting acquainted and so forth, first cigar magazine comes out, and I see this description about hint of cherry and this and the blah, 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 and I'm hearing all this stuff and floral, and I'm saying, what the after these people know about cigars, <laughs> I was never taught that way. You know, a cigar could be bitter, strong, you know, have sweet, you know, acidy. There could be a lot of harsh. This stuff about hints of black cherry and the white, you know, pepper and all these different things, you know. And I say, my God, what the hell? This is not, this, well, who are they? So I remember I had a couple of conversations with this, and I was just honest, and I was a kid. Relatively speaking, uh, because you think about things 25 years already <laughs> goes by, brother. Yeah. But uh, but I remember Marvin Shanga says, you want to learn what we're going to do with the cigar industry? What I've learned to do with the wine industry at one time, wines, uh, you know, made in California or produced in California were not popular today. California wines. We know what wine spectator, how they participated in uh, uh, in, in building the, the Napa or the wine industry in the United States. Come to one of the wine experiences. So I go to the wine experience and people are doing the tasting. I'm just somebody there in the audience. There were journalists there, all these things, and all the, the big chefs, the wine buyers, all the big producers. And I'm sitting by, and there was an event that was hosted by uh, Australia. So I just ended up on that table because I used to walk in. I was nervous. I didn't know anybody. There were no cigar makers there. This was in the very beginning. Cigar makers were not involved. They didn't go. And I was curious. And there was a different world. That was before, back, basically right before the boomer or before it really started. Yeah. So I'm sitting on the table in this big, big, big ballroom. Because every day was a different uh, country. We'll host something. It was Australia. So I'm sitting with these Australians and this and that. 
And, you know, Australian wines were not getting the best ratings and this and that, blah, blah, blah. and they're, you know, they're talking this and that. And one of the big wine producers that today he's doing very, very well. He today, one of his wines, the most sought after uh, Savignon Blancs in the market. But back then it was probably a $38 bottle of wine today. You got to pay 150 maybe. But anyway, he's looking and he says, I'm going to say, what are you doing here? I said, yeah, I want to learn. He says, let me tell you right now. So all you have to learn, the ink is what sells. The ink, and I didn't understand what he meant. The ink, journalists, the press, has a great influence on the perception of what people think and what they taste. So going back to that and the cigar I'm enjoying, that's been such a trend for all these big cigars and this and more filler and this and that. But, you know, you go back to old school, the Cubans knew their shit. Mm -hmm. The old school knew their shit. There's a reason why a plane only gives so many leaves. of sun. And people are being forced today to be able to supply a market because it's demanded by a marketing company or a big CFO who needs to get more sales because there's a trend. They're using tobacco, which you should wait five or six years to use because they're forced to use it. Because they're making a big cigar. If not, it's not going to taste like anything. So it, it's just something that I believe that things come, everything has a cycle. And I think people are becoming much more sophisticated. And they're going back. Remember, Fuente Opisex, when it came out, it was out of the box. Yeah. It was it was the, 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 the joker, the mad jackal jumped out of the box. It was so different than everything else. It was such a strong cigar. Today, you smoke a Fuente Bissex and you go, wow, it's not that strong. Because yeah. so many cigars, you take a puff and everything, and you're getting dizzy. They're so strong. <laughs> and everything is relative in life. So, And I think that um, one of the reasons why we came out with, with the Rosados, the Magnum Mars, mm. because I wanted to go back to old school blending and what my father had taught me. That you want to smoke a cigar when you get almost near the end, you know, you go, wow, I'm satisfied, but shit, let me light another one if I have the time. It's that thing you just, you, you know, it's like the food is so good that you know you shouldn't eat no more, you're full, but give me a second helping, you know, give me a second serving. That's old school blending and that's old school cigar making. Love you it. know, it's not the cigar that you smoke and you smoke half of and you see them in the, in the smoke lounge, it's half the cigar, this and that. It's like this real big. They only smoked half. If they knew what they pay for it, and they're only smoking half, if they measure it by inches, they just threw away half of their, their pocketbook. So, you know, things come in cycle, and you watch. It's going to go back to the classics. I hope so. It always, you know, it always does. Because people like you, like, like you, Garrett, and Matt, and, and so many others who are understanding this, are starting to realize and just, you know, and, and varieties of spice of life. I'm not saying anything negative about those real, real heavy ring gauges that are very popular now, but there's going to come to a point that people are going to say, wow, this is, that's not comfortable, but this is comfortable and I could really enjoy it. This is not knocking me down. This is not fighting me. Yeah. I'm, you know, this is not a struggle to dance with this person. Mm. This is nice. This is nice. This yeah. oh, I love it. You know, let me get a little bit more adventurous. Let me try to get closer and cheek to cheek, and maybe <laughs> you know, let's dance another song together. You know, and I think that uh, that I think everything happens for a reason. It's all in cycles, and we learn from all these things that we do. So, 
we've talked about some relationships. We've uh, you've name dropped a few people. I would like to hear about a position at the factory or Casa Fuente that you think doesn't get enough attention, love and respect. And then take that further. If you could tell us a story about a particular employee that has meant a lot to the Fuente family and the where we are today. Wow. I've never been asked that question. And that's a question that doesn't have one answer, but a history of responses. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, you know, I can't name one person because there's, there's so many people. You know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I'm thinking to myself, it, it, at what era, what time? Because <laughs> there was a Juan Sosa at one time for my father. His name was Ramon Gonzalo. He was one of my grandfather's dearest friends. And when it came to retirement, Social Security age and everything, we kept working. He didn't want to retire. He refused not to collect Social Security. My grandfather passed away. This man was up there in age. And um, he refused uh, to leave my father alone. Hmm. He was <laughs> he was a person that had every nickname under the world that people made fun of. He used to be the one that used to open the factory and he would be the one to leave with my father. He used to get down at six o'clock to my father's office and he used to knock on the door. I used to go, look at the time, six o'clock. It's time to have a drink. Because <laughs> he drank every day. You know, he was an alcoholic, drank every day, but he wouldn't drink during work. And these are the stories that I know. He was ridiculed. He was this, but he worked on the clock and he refused to leave my father alone after my grandfather left. He was there by my father's side when my father needed him the most. And uh, I remember even he was the one that was chosen for, like when I was very young for Christmas, he would dress like Santa Claus. I remember <laughs> all my cousins, well, you know, we, and so. Who are you going to give credit to? Probably the person that the one is the least remember unknown is probably such an important part of that puzzle or building block that I wouldn't be here today without him. Mm -hmm. So I, I cannot name one person. I would have to name so many people. Yeah. Everyone, everyone has paid an integral and important part in the process of where we're at and where we're here today. And this is such a complex industry process in the making of a great cigar that everybody plays a major role from the person that is selecting the little seedlings all the way to the person that puts the cigar in a box and puts that last guarantee seal to all the great team of sales managers that we have that built that that is the communication and the voice and 
to reach out to the brick and mortar and, and to educate everybody. This, I'm just a small piece of a huge puzzle. And, um, and everybody plays a big part is, and is part of the, it's part of the leaves on my huge tree that gives me oxygen every, give me oxygen every day that absorbs the oxygen from the air and it gives me the motivation to continue because it's not about me anymore. It's about everyone else. And to me, more importantly, it's not about the last hundred years, but it's about the next hundred years yeah. and generations to follow. So Carlito, I saw um, in a interview with your father that he mentioned at a time that you were still a teenager, that he sent you on some trips at the time, a, a few different trips to Dominican Republic to to learn more about tobacco, about growing, selecting, uh, all that. So when when he sent you on those trips, what what is it that you saw and that you learned on those trips that kind of um, gave you either inspiration or education to take the next steps as 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 your own as your own man to you know take steps in the direction of of really learning about this business that your family been in for so long first of all i'm very grateful to both of you because you've asked some really well thought out good questions that i don't think i've been asked before that are very important that maybe i've answered in a different way or i brought it up because part of my life but those are questions that are very deep and are, are very much who I am today. My father, in Tampa, we had 35, 40 cigar makers, 30. depends what time, you know, at what year, because every year somebody retires, somebody passed away. Um, they were really up in age and all old Cuban cigar makers who were colleagues of my grandfather or started when my father was younger. And the younger generation wasn't learning the industry. And with the, my grandfather would spend most of his time in Cuba. My father used to go to Cuba with the tobacco and everything. But being born and raised in Florida and with the Cuban embargo, during my earlier years of my life, it was impossible for me to be around cigar, tobacco, agriculture, and to really learn the intricacies and the feeding of tobacco from the beginning stages because you know, if you're a chef, you and you know whether it's sushi chef or your beef, you really need to know. You really need to see how everything starts, and and especially tobacco, it's, it's very complicated. So, at a very early age, in teenage years, I would say 16, 17. And my father, I used to, he saw I had such a passion because we used to have representatives come to visit us from Honduras, from from Mexico, from Dominican Republic, because we used to use those tobaccos. And, uh, you know, the tobacco families would come and I will always be sitting with them when they bring samples and looking at this and that. I was always fascinated and everything. And I didn't know it was because I used to hear in the back of my ear little whispers or something that there were some good looking girls in Latin America or whatever. <laughs> and I was young, full of hormones. I really don't know. I don't want to just say because I was a lover of the leaf. But I said, man, I would like to go, I would, you know, Dad, see if I could go with them, I could learn. I really was very, no, I was very hungry to learn. And I was, I was a student of the past because you have to remember, I was 
born in a clinic, but the next day I went to the cigar factory where my parents lived because they were 18 years old when I was born. So they lived with their parents. And I lived inside the cigar factory because the cigar factory was a back, the, the back part of the house of my grandfather's cigar factory. So they lived with their parents, but that was my grandparents where the cigar factory. So I grew up there till I was around four years old that my father was able to build his first house. So I was always around these old timers and these great masters. And they're telling me stories of growing up in the farms and the tobacco and all these things that I, I was memorized with. I mean, it, I, I just was, you know, I was like a kid, you know, wanting to go to, you know, Disney World that heard all these stories of all these fantasies that they had and blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm saying blah, 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 but that means that's a lot of years of conversations and hearing stories and everything. But so I had an, uh, I had a deep attraction for this. And every time someone came to visit, I said, Dad, and of course, they, you know, they want to sell us tobacco. They were our supplier. Oh, yeah. Anytime your son wants, I will talk to Don so-and-so and you know, be happy. But one of my first visits, okay, let me go back. I think that's one of your questions. There's so many of them. But my first training came in the Dominican Republic, actually, 1978. Five, 1976, 1977. I came here for several years. And I would stay at the house of the supplier of our favorite tobacco, the grower and the person that fermented prepared it, Don Jose Mendez, Don Pepe Mendez. Today, his grandson is the one that's really the head of the company, is in charge. It's Siegfried Moruski. I think um, a lot of people know Fito Siegfried, but I remember Fito when he was just born. And that was quite a few years ago. And I used to go, you know, I used to stay at his house because not only were we customers, we weren't a threat. We were a small company. Very few people knew who we were. So they see this young man. Also, it's very important to know because we say that everything is relative. There was no one of my age and my generation interested in the cigar business. Yeah. Everyone whose families, all the families that were big and all the old families, their children who were close to my around my generation, they moved on to the real estate industry. They bought car dealerships because they were all wealthy families, not ours. I'm talking about the big companies. Mm -hmm. They went into the computer business, you know, they, everything because the cigar business during the 70s was just going straight down every day there was a one factory less everybody was selling out mm -hmm. it was just you had to move offshore that you know the big strong company from from tampa and united states were just closing and selling out left and right there's nobody of my of my age so i was not really a threat so i i spent about three years here with one of the greatest masters to me who i who i learned it from was uh don pepe and his the people who work with him i spent time with his son who yet already passed away you know, and that was to me was an experience being in the farm, the tobacco, the box, the fermentation, the stripping, making cigars by hand from tobacco that's raw, the tobaccos. It was just and I and I used to go back to Tampa with the old Cuban masters 
And all of a sudden I was speaking a different language with them and I had a little experience and that motivated me. Then I was sent to Nicaragua and I was sent to Honduras. And I'm going to be totally honest. I look back to that and there's no Harvard, Oxford or no Yale education that could give me what I was able to absorb when I was a blank slate, a computer with no information. Mm. Just the information I had brought back from Tampa. And I look today when I was with some of the greatest tobacco growers of the 40s and 50s in Cuba, who I spent their last years in Jalapa, Nicaragua, Hamastran, and Honduras, or here in the Dominican Republic as a young boy. Some of them were, were great, great farmers. They were the farm, the people who ran the farms for some of the biggest companies, the biggest brands. But they accepted it because I was Carlito Fuentes Sr.'s son, who was not a threat. So <laughs> I was allowed to go in their factories, and I was in the factory with Estelo Padron, which is Frank Yanessa's factory, which was a powerhouse as a young boy and Estelo telling me this and this is what we do and that, and with all these different people. And I used to go out because I was a young kid and people opened their doors to me. And because again, my father was non-confrontational and we were not a threat to anybody. So nobody ever thought we were ever grow, whatever. I was just a young kid. But to answer your question, I the only thing I could compare it that I was like that you buy a brand new computer with no information. You have nothing has been downloaded. And I had no idea most of the time of what they were trying to tell me or teach me. I spent so many hours without any lights or anything like that in old wooden houses in the middle of nowhere in Jalapa, Nicaragua as a young teenager or an older teenager, my older teenage years. And asking stories about Cuba and talking to these old men, they would tell me stories of this and that and asking about what musicians did you listen to, what songs, and I heard about these duets. And it was just absorbing and trying to gain their confidence because I just wanted them to accept me. And you know what? Moving fast forward, those years, my younger years, All that fragments of information that I received from each one of these great masters. Each one has a different book. Hmm. They have different techniques. There's no two the same. But all these different things alongside with my father, the experience over many years today has become part of the, you know, the, the, the software that I carry in my soul. And they have been a big, everyone. There's not one that has not had a huge influence of what Calipa Fuente is today. And that's why I am so grateful for the opportunity that I think that no one of my generation lived those days or had that opportunity. There was no one around in my generations. Everybody came after me or the ones that were before me just not continue the family tradition and they're not around. Yeah. But, but that's why, um, you know, I feel that that I've been very fortunate, you know, and, you know, 
some people thought, wow, you're sacrificing, you leaving all, you know, the, the, the moments of the experiences of being a teenager in Florida, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever, you know, you were offshore doing something. I, I was born an old man, you know, <laughs> yeah, you no, know, really, really. I was born an old man. I was born an old man. I have an old man's soul, but I have a little boy's heart mm. and uh, I still have a little boy in me. So if you want to talk about those things, uh, Garrett, that we mentioned earlier before the show started, <laughs> those things I don't forget. I still got the past of a little boy. And you know what? The older you get, they, it's true. I believe it. You get older, you start becoming your baby again. And I'm starting to become a little bit more spoiled. I need a little bit more help. I need people to cater to me a little bit more, you know, and, and I, I just... I need a little bit more attention. And it, that's one of the nice things of growing older and everything and being surrounded with so many people that you love and love you. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually kind of leads into, you know, the next thing, because obviously before you, you know, this is a family business that, uh, you know, was, was always that way. And, and then, and now you've got the generation coming after you. Um, and even the generation alongside you. I mean, this, I said it before, and it's, it's just so, it rings so true for, for this family is that, that it is genuinely a family business. And so, you know, alongside you, there's your sister, you've got your kids, there's cousins, there's nieces, there's nephews. What is that? And, and, and now, especially, you know, as my, as for Garrett and I also both fathers and seeing our kids grow up, what is what is the what is the experience like of standing alongside your own children teaching them things that your father taught you and your grandfather taught you and and seeing them take it in and learn it and experience it and taking it on to the next generation of of cigar enthusiasts and the next generation of people out there in the world what what does that what does that do for your heart as 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 a father well I, I would never admit it to them hope they don't see this program <laughs> <laughs> you know it's i'm so proud of all of them i really am i'm a blessed man i said that earlier and i continue to be a blessed man uh the love that i receive and the support i receive from my family is truly unfair to them i don't deserve it my children don't see me I didn't see my father growing up a lot. You know, now things are, well, right now, it's now they could see me. I'm here locked down, but they're, they're in universities. They're, you know, it life's that way. But when they're younger years, they didn't see me. I was, I was in the factory or I was traveling. Or I was doing the, you know, what I learned from my father. You know, we sacrifice for the family. I think that my children understand that. I'm one of the fortunate ones that, um, to give you an example, I remember I played Little League, West Tampa Little League. People from Tampa remember that, you know. And um, I remember, man, the first time that I, I I closed my eyes and I swung that bat and I, Top! and I opened my eyes again and the ball was going off, <laughs> went over the fence. I remember people screaming. That I don't, I would never forget that emotion that I felt. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm coming back, I look back and first thing, 
hard for me to say this, you know, because it's really dip, digging <laughs> deep inside. I look back when I was ready to get close to home plate. I look back to look for my father. Mm. He wasn't there. Mm. My father was working. My uncles were there. He used to send my uncles who worked with him to leave work and to go there to support his son. My father was never there. My second home run, my third home run, father wasn't there. And um, that could, to many children, that could really have or could really create a big scar and the bringing in the hearts. I was blessed that I understood because never once did I feel neglected yeah. from my father's love. And the sacrifice of my mother, mm -hmm. who didn't see him either, mm -hmm. but knew that it was for the family. Yeah. And, um, you know, those are things that today I look up and I go, man, I'm so grateful for everything my father sacrificed. He would have preferred to be in the beach with his family and having a picnic or barbecue. Of course, he was a real family man. Mm -hmm. Nobody enjoyed being around a dinner table with family, smoking cigars and enjoying conversation with family and friends of my father or my grandfather. That's what I grew up with. So, you know, you talk about children, you know, it's, it's a different time. The world has changed, you know, things are different today than it was. Um, I was in Nicaragua <laughs> without electricity in the middle of nowhere or the Dominican Republic or whatever it was, instead of, you know, in the 1969 GTO that I had at home when I was 15 years old or the porch or whatever, you know, I was going down a farm with a no Jeep without a windshield and dust coming in because, <laughs> of, you know, the owner of that farm who was a millionaire didn't want to buy a windshield yet, you know, and then the, the foreman of the farm was, you know, with goggles because of the dust. Hmm. Different times, my son, had did not have to go through that yeah uh but you know my choice was for them to get an education and go to school and everything i went to junior college on a couple of years but i started going to got one is it just different everything is relative and for their generation to be relative also but i have the support because the passion that my children listen my children call me up sometimes and says dad i saw the interview you mentioned one sister. How about the other sister? And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell are you doing? It's what we're studying. You're watching these broadcasts and the thing. They follow, you know, they got the passion. They know. Yeah. They love. And they're going to do well. And listen, my oldest daughter, Liana, she's, uh, you know, just like all of them, but her, she's proven it already. I mean, she's earned it. She's the oldest one. They, they have what it takes. And uh, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm very proud of them. It's just a great feeling. And, you know, with my sister and all that, the family and her children, the only thing that I want is for them to be happy, all of them. Same thing my father taught me and taught my sister. Never 
always was against me coming into the cigar industry, always tried to discourage me, always said, no, you search in your life. Whatever you do in your life, do what, what your heart tells you. Follow your passion, follow your dreams. Follow, follow your happiness. What will make you happiness? Happy. If you want to collect garbage, I will support you. But you fight hard and you struggle to be the best garbage collector. And, and, and everybody that you're going to pick up the garbage, you get to know their name and make sure that you are the best at what you do and you'll be successful and you'll be happy. Hmm. If you want to dance, you could dance ballet. But just fight hard to be the best ballet dancer and I will support you. But don't come in the cigar industry because it's a tough industry. Mm. And you never know what's going to take you. I was living back then in Florida. And look what it brought me. Today I'm in the Dominican Republic, 40 years, one of 41 years living here. I never thought I would leave my, my hometown where my grandparents rest, where my godparents rest, where my uncles and aunts and so many people I knew rest. Um, I'm in the Dominican Republic, but this is my home now. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that destiny and God brought me here because I would have right now, I wouldn't know both. I wouldn't know either one of you. I wouldn't have met these wonderful people. My life would not have been as colorful as it is if it wasn't that destiny brought me here and everything. We talk about crisis and everything coming into Dominican Republic was a crisis for a crisis for us. Yeah. It was a mode of survival. And just look, when you think about, all the things that have been developed here, you know, the, the, I want to say reintroduction or the bringing back of the old classics like Figurados that weren't on the market when we came out with Hemingway's and look how many Figurados on the market. Everybody's making Figurados before they were, they were just off the market. They didn't exist for decades. You look at cigars, like with two wrappers that started with between the lines and all these little designs that all came from the Fuente family. There's so many things that have come from the Fuente family that were the ones that really brought these things to fashion and brought them up and brought and changed the cigar world. Yeah. It wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for that crisis that we had nowhere else to go and opportunity opened up here for us. So you mentioned this, the program started with crisis and everything. I think that <laughs> crisis could become opportunity and if there's anything that I want everyone that's listening or anyone who listens in the future that never give up, never give up, never give up because, listen, no matter how bad things could be, you, it may be that you're going to suffer, whatever it is, but maybe you're not going to go because you're going to save somebody's life. Mm. It's going to make a big difference in this world in the future. But there's always a reason for everything, you know, and the only thing that um, that I could just say or tell you or my explanation for this is that there's destiny. Things are meant to be and everything. And you just have to stand up, face it and just 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 do good and do good to everybody and don't expect anything in return. Hmm. I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on some of this a little bit. Because. One of the ad, old adages is don't get into business with friends or family. <laughs> and the Fuente family has, has uh, certainly defied that in spades. Um, so if we can go back to Cynthia graduates college, 
and she becomes she uh, comes alongside the family business. Let's talk about those early years, your working relationship then, and how that's evolved to now and what that looks like. Garrett, thank you. You know, I got to commend you or compliment you once again. The questions that you guys prepared, because I know this program was spontaneous. I got a call yesterday that there was a situation if I would be on. And um, you said that you'd known about our family and you guys have followed but you've asked some very, very important questions that are deep and very emotional to me. They have not been asked, and I think they're important for people to know because Cynthia is loved by so many people, and maybe some people don't understand, but Cynthia is four years younger than me. And Cynthia was in the factory playing with me when we were babies. We grew up side by side. Cynthia worked in every department. Cynthia grew up in the factory. Cynthia has tobacco in her blood. No different than I do. Of course, I went to Nicaragua. I went to the Dominican Republic. I was the, I was the one they sacrificed, okay? I was the boy. <laughs> we could lose him. But you know, daddy's girl... Oh, daddy's girl was going to be pampered. Daddy's girl was pampered. She was. Cynthia was queen of Latin fiesta, queen of Latin America. Cynthia, <laughs> Cynthia, no, Cynthia, listen, Cynthia, Cynthia in her younger days, she was like the most sought after bachelorette. Cynthia Fuente, my God. The house was full of people. And, you know, it, my mom had to tell up so many phone calls. No, Cynthia's not in and everything because. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, but seriously, but Cynthia was always involved, always part of it. Cynthia went to university and all that, but Cynthia was the first female sales lady probably in the industry. Hmm. Seriously, with her little briefcase and everything, while in university and after university, she went to visit every brick and mortar, every account, travel with a salesman. Of course, she was Don Carlos' little girl. She was very young, very, very, very impeccably beautiful <laughs> with a smile that would just steal your heart. And just being herself, because Cynthia is so lovable. I mean, she's so much of my mom. Yeah, she has a lot of my father. And um, Cynthia was traveling and visiting accounts, and Cynthia was in the industry. Cynthia was smoking cigars when she was... 18, 19, 20. But the thing at that time, it was it was portrayed to be, because not that it was, it was portrayed to be a man's world where women were not really a part of it. But let me tell you, that wasn't the Fuente family world because next to my grandfather was my grandmother making cigars by hand. My grandmother, I have photos in the cathedral of our factory. We have what we call the cathedral because each each little station has like a story of history, like an altar. And you can see photos, my grandmother, 17 years old, making cigars at her father's factory. Her father, Oscar Trujillo, who had a cigar factory in Tampa before she met my grandfather. So you know, it's it goes back generational in our blood. 
And since, you know, my grandmother was next to my grandfather. My mother made cigars, rolled cigars next to my father. And, uh, you know, my aunts and uncles and it, uh, some of the greatest factories in Tampa in the old days were run by uncles of mine. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. Yeah. When you think, you know, you think about the old Questeray before it was uh, before the Newman's Ball Questor, the Questeray brand for the move from Cleveland and even like Perfecto Garcia and some of these old brands, they, they were run by family members. Have a Tampa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have a Tampa. When before, and I think they were still handmade and there was like Cuban tobacco in them and everything, even though they were popular cigars and it was a big company in Tampa. The general manager of Have a Tampa back in the 20s and 30s was my grandmother's stepfather. Wow. By the so, I mean, you think this is a community anyway. So women have always been a big part of our lives. We know that. But they've always been it, it, not made public. I, I never say that. It, not, not that they were de- repressed or kept quiet. No, they were just, it was, just, listen, there was no social media. There was no magazines about who the people in the cigar industry is. If not, you know, it, it, but let me just go back to Cynthia. Cynthia was the first lady publicly, publicly to go out, blah, blah, blah. And this is this young girl and everything. She, Cynthia did not distinguish herself as male, female. Cynthia was Fuente. Today, Cynthia's Fuente. And Cynthia, as they know her, is the day is the first lady of cigars and everything. And mention about the first lady of cigars. You know, we, we say the first lady because we go back. We, the people who have been around who listen to this program, we know our queen of cigars is Diana Gitz. It's one of the first retail ladies who really went public fighting hard for, for people's rights and cigars in Chicago. And she always had that cigar there staunch. And, and she would love to be photographed with boots, you know, leather boots above her knees, sitting on a Harley <laughs> Davidson and dark glasses. She was president of, uh, you know, all these organizations. And, and that's one of Cynthia's uh, heroes and leaders, as well as mine. If you come in my office today, you will see a picture of me and Diana Gates, because in the coffee mug, I drink my coffee, it says Diana. Anyway, because the women have always been a big, important, big, important part of the cigar industry. I think they deserve the respect and admiration that I have for them, that everyone should have for women. And you mentioned Cynthia. Cynthia knows more about making cigars than I think some manufacturers who are making cigars today know. Cynthia doesn't say it. Cynthia doesn't talk about it. But Cynthia, to me, is oof. <laughs> yeah. She's all I got left. Hmm. I love her. Yeah. I, and I'm not the only one that loves her. A lot of people yeah. love her. They love her a hell of a lot more. They love me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this actually is is good because it kind of leads into, um, because it's it's obvious that you and and your family has you're you're, you're close. You have, um, you're you're all very important to each other and. Part of that is, like you said earlier, you don't like the word employee. And for all the people who call Fuente their home, who work in the factories, who sell the cigars, who 
who work in the in the in the fields planting and and priming and and processing the tobaccos and and all that in between there are there are so many of these people who to remember that all these people are part of a family all these people who work in the cigar industry um are part of a family and one of the things that i know is important to you is is caring for the communities that you serve and you know from the you know from the all the different charity work that that you and the fuente company does talk to us a little bit about that charity work and and why it's important to you well matt i think that it goes back to um my upbringing i think it all does you know i don't think that um nothing that we do or have done is anything that no different than what my grandparents did or my parents did in a different way because we have different opportunities now and by that i'm saying that i grew up in a community that it was a cigar community and old ebor city that i remember i think that has so much to do with it the things that i learned that that were that i absorbed such from an early age of what a community of those special moments of my life i grew up in a community that if someone had a fever or something the whole neighborhood would be coming with chicken soup or this and that or how you doing if you're a child they bring you a lollipop whatever i grew up in this community where in this little wooden house with tin roof it was full of people all the time a community that shared I want to tell you something a little bit about that community. People talk about social medicine. Ybor City has social medicine from the establishment of Ybor City in the cigar industry, the first. Cigar makers will give a portion or once a month pay something, and they will be a member of the Cuban club, La Unión Italiana, the Italian club, the Centro Español or Centro Tuniano, the Spanish clubs. And I'm talking about clubs or palaces in those days. I have images in our factories that you see Main Street in Ybor City, and you see the automobiles, and you see the signs on the, on, on the Main Street, the store, diamonds and this and that, and you see where people are dressed. Talk about the 30s and 40s. It was a community of progress with cigar community but people shared. They lived within the community and they resolved their problems. And uh, I think that has a lot to do. In life, I've always seen my parents always share. I've seen my grandparents share. And we, I don't know, it's part of our, our upbringing, but the privilege that Cynthia and I have and my father had in his later time in life and um, because we didn't have this privilege before we could share chicken soup we could share half a sandwich or whatever and we always had a smile and a hug for everyone I don't care if no matter what that was our greeting that's the way the Fuente family is we greet you with an open heart we expect every human being to be a lovable person is going to love us back we believe in that we believe in people but 
we never had the progress of success to be able to do the things we're doing today. I learned not long ago, really, relatively speaking, and I, I owe a lot to, I think one of the ones that really had an impact in my life is Mr. Marvin Shankin. Mm. And I say this because I remember back in, uh, maybe it was 1995. No, it was before, I'm sorry. Probably 1993. And I have to say this because I have to be real and honest how things started really changing for us. I was asked by, by Cigar Aficionado to send a special box of cigars for an event they were going to have to raise monies for CapCure for prostate cancer, which is the cancer that affects most men, like women's breast cancer affect the most women. It's, those are very serious cancers uh, that affect the different genders. And um, I remember the and at that time, we, you know, it's the beginning of Fuente Bissex, but it was something very special. And I sent a full box of A's for this event. I did not attend the event. It was the very first event. I didn't attend. So Wayne Suarez, my brother-in-law, attended the event. And, um, you know, I was really pissed off, okay? Because I was, I felt, you know, I didn't want to give a box of A's. At that time, the box race for me, it was like, <laughs> I'd rather have, and then somebody donate a, from the elbow down. I might have done that before, <laughs> you know, or your hoopla watch, you know, even though this one here, I won't, I won't donate because it's the only one I have, you know, it's mine. But it, but I, I, listen, I wouldn't, but I was like, box of A's, Wayne, Wayne, no, Khalid, you got to do it, man. This is for a big charity of man, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, well, anyway, the box of A's win, this and that. So, okay. After the event, the next day I get a call from Wayne. He says, bro, you know what the box of A's went for, for charity? And I, no, I don't have any idea, man. What? <laughs> Come on. So you have no idea. Give me a guess. I say, what, $2,000? Higher, three, four. And I started feeling a little proud by then. No, higher. This bottom line, after a long $20,000 for 20 cigars. Wow. And I said, no, Wayne, don't tell me. I really was like, really like, all of a sudden, like I hit hard, like a train just had hit me in the chest. Wayne, don't tell me that shit. $20,000? Are they fucking crazy? <laughs> no, no, really. I'm sorry to say the word, okay? No, it's all good. <laughs> but that's really my response. And I said, Wayne, I said, I'm curious who paid that much money? Who paid that much? And listen, God rest his soul, man. He's been so, he was such a special person and everything. And he was so good to the industry. And, you know, got Rush Limbaugh mm -hmm. and $20,000. And, and remember, Rush in the old days was a much larger man, much heavier, and this and that. And I knew Rush, I had met him. And I said, Wayne, no, man, don't tell me that. Oh, my God. Give me his address. I got to send him like 500 cigars and I'm going to send him a limousine to pick him up for dinner at a 
that restaurant in Italy that, you know, literally you can't get into and everything because maybe uh, I, I know some people that do charity. So Wayne said, no, man, you don't get it. It's not about the cigar. It's about the cause. It's not about the cigars, it's about cancer, about the cause. And I said, Wayne, I don't want to run 20 cigars. I didn't check. What if one of those cigars don't draw? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I told him that. I swear, I was like, I could, it did not, it did not sink into me. I cannot, I cannot decipher the 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 logic of this. And I said, this guy is huge. I'll be walking down the airport one day. Oh, Carlito, that box, boom. You know, that's what I thought in my mind because that would be my reaction. Hey, I paid $20,000 for a box of cigars and one don't draw, one I one don't like. I will, you know, I, so really, this is what really started. I started realizing it's not about cigars. Mm. It's about the people. Yeah. It's about the cause. And this opened a door for me to start creating things. This is where all these cigars that you see now that people are making with these little designs and all these different shapes and everything, it all started from that reaction of that, that, wait, there's something that we could do to make a difference in this world. Mm. That's what I'm saying. It's all relative. You can't compare that to my father's time or my grandfather's time. Yeah, We didn't have the opportunity like this. But now there's a cigar boom. There's an interest in cigars. All of a sudden, charities are becoming part of what we could do. I like that. I, I, I finally understood it's not about cigars. It's about the people, the cause. So I started creating all these different shapes and everything to raise money for St. Jude's Children's Hospital, to raise money for different things and everything. And uh, during that time, before because this was before this was before it was actually cigar was actually like you know really introduced and hot and everything um i started doing all these different things to raise money for charity mm -hmm. and i realized in life the greatest blessing that one could have is to give back that's the greatest gift that one could receive. The gift that you're able to give back. And maybe it, may, it could be as simple as that chicken soup. I'm not taking anything away because that chicken soup will save someone's life. Mm -hmm. And that is priceless. But in life, when you reach a certain opportunity that God has been good to you, and you have something that you could make a difference in life, then you have a responsibility. Mm. And that started opening doors and doors. And, you know, my my train of thought changed and this and that. It moved on forward. And we started with, uh, it, it started with 2001, 9-11. We had, uh, we were the first, I think, and I just think that uh, I was confirmed by a dear friend of mine who we have this little controversy going because I kind of stole his little, uh, uh, what do you call that, a Bigfoot, Steve Sanka. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it here. It's in my office, and I'm using it as an ashtray anyway. I, just, I dug a hole right here, and I just keep putting my cigar out. But anyway. I love it. Uh, anyway, he even said that, you know, 
one of the first, you know, I, I met him because he was one of the first bloggers that I was able to meet through this, all cigar smokers, this and that. When I first, the internet started getting involved with cigars. Yeah. And, uh, and that we were, we were able to meet and everything, but you know, even he said that cigar family was one of the first really bulletin boards made available for people who love cigars mm -hmm. and cigar family started in 1998. And here comes 2001. We were just talking about cigars and Opus X and people were getting to meet each other because all through went Opus X and all these things. And something that we would never forget. We would never forget. No, everyone that's listening to this program knows exactly where they were on September 11, 2001. Yeah. I, we will never forget. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to allow anybody to forget. And um, 2001, we just all cigar family got together. And we just became emotionally involved. What we're going to do support. We started, we came out with a cigar, uh, New York, New York City of Heroes. We raised money for the Firemen and Widows Fund. You know, all everybody from ground zero. And it started from there, this and that. We started, we realized that our community has such a passion to to be able to through our love for cigars that we could do something that we all could give back and then it evolved to cigar family trouble foundation which was uh the school was inaugurated in 2004 and this this been one charity after another and so forth you know today with the rare pinks with with breast cancer, but talking about Cigar Family Trouble Foundation was started as just a, a vision to help a few children who were looking, were looking for work so they could eat that day because there were no schools. You know, some people could claim there was a, a classroom that didn't have electricity. There was maybe, think about like, I would say uh, eight feet by 12 no electricity, blocks, no lighting, anything. And inside that classroom, in this entire community that consists of about, at that time, I would say six villages. Now it's grown to 13 villages that we support. But those six villages filled with children because some of those families had 10, 12 children, everything. Think about this. Maybe 18, 20 children fit inside that little room. And there were children there from six to maybe 16 receiving classes. So the government and their census say they had a classroom in that community. But the reality is that those communities around that area are surrounded by nickel mines, strip mines, okay, mm -hmm. and gold mines, mm -hmm. the richest and the most. It, your biggest resources of the Dominican Republic. And it's a joint venture with the Dominican Republic government and international companies. And I've gone, I fought like hell, man. I became a rebel. Because let me tell you, so these international companies, I'm going to mention what countries that come from. They want to do that shit in their country. Right. And yet the contamination, everything was happening. And there were no schools in those areas because I know that area is intentionally repressed to keep people ignorant so they don't have a voice. 
and whenever and there was an area of violence and riots and this constantly and the leader of the, of the riot and everything would be given a weapon or a gun or you know a month's uh, whatever it is to give him money and he quiets it down and he becomes the power guy you know it's old school shit come on man it's the old world the way things always happen yeah that was that has changed huh cigar family trouble foundation came in we started with what it was intentionally in, intended to be um small classroom with maybe 20 30 students um electricity of course even though there were batteries at those days because there was no electricity no running water no roads to get in or out we had to build three bridges to be able to get in and out of the community for for the buses to be able to pick up students around the villages to get there because students won't come you had to motivate them they never probably seen vehicles okay so i mean I'm not exaggerating. I mean, if people, there's testimony of people who know those days and see what it was. So anyway, what started out as a vision to teach a few children who were looking for work so they could eat that day. They were looking for work on our farms and anything they could do around there because there were no schools. What started out is just that vision that small classroom teach children basic skills, how to read, write, basic administration basic um, uh, arithmetic turned into a 26 acre project that starts all the way from preschool and now is all the way through high school has its own medical center i mean a clinic with with pharmacy with gynecology with you know dentistry with laboratory i mean labs i go there with i have a group of uh, visitors first thing i go to the lab i go check my blood i want blood, bloop, check my and people looking at me you can check your blood i want to check pool check my blood there they put it on a computer and within 40 seconds i have a report of everything on my blood hmm. state of the art today even has a technical center teaching nursing nursing because wow. you know it's incredible there's no in the whole state there's not a nursing academy anywhere and the community has changed it's changing, okay? I mean, everything is relative. When we were there, no roads, no electricity, anything like that. Homes were put together with old rusted tin or palm fronds and cardboard. And a lot of times, a lot of leftover rubbish from signs of, of, of political campaigns, because here it's huge, man. Whenever they have a, you think there's a, there's a campaign every two years or something, all oh, the signs, there's so much money put in. People don't have money to eat. But the politicians, it's so freaking horrible. What the money is spent on signs. So all these signs are taken down. So they, you used to see these houses all patched up with signs of one party, another party, and palm fronds in between and leaking more inside. You want it rained, then it rained outside in the garden. Well, there was no gardens. Everything was, you know, dirt and sand. But hmm. today, moving forward, Many of those things today. There's asphalt road. There's sidewalks. There's electricity with lights. A lot of these homes you don't see those homes anymore unless you go further in, and it's a development. It starts spreading. Brick homes painted. They got their tin roofs, but the tins are painted. Yeah. And you see, they have gardens, and they're proud of the community. What has happened is incredible. But that's the community. The children. Yeah. Those children that were looking to, 
you know, the, the fine work for a day so they could eat that day. This been over 10 graduation classes. We 90% have moved on to universities. We had the Lost City Scholarship Fund, thanks to Andy Garcia and uh, and so forth with uh, with the sales of uh, uh, and, and, and thanks to all the support of uh, the brick and mortar retailers was toast across America and so many big hearted cigar lovers, because this is, this is all supported by people who love cigars. You know, today you look at it, we have a technical school teaching nursing, uh, you know, you have a, a real full blown baseball stadium. I mean, with bleachers, lockers, uh, you know, showers, the whole thing, uh, for you know, male, female, and the bleachers, the whole with a wall around it, and everything that was initially supported by cigar aficionado. We have basketball, volleyball, have an amphitheater. People mm. learn. I mean, they learn how to dance, music, uh, plays, performance, and everything. And right now, with the contribution of Hublot, which is, we had a you know a collaboration for the last ten years, we've they've come out with several series of the. Fuente Opus Sax or Fuente Watches. And um, that money from the royalties that in, in my arrangement, my commitment with them was we, we're not in the watch business. We're not in the jury business. We sell cigars. But also we we have a responsibility to give back. And that's what they do. They love to give back. They help uh, so many things. They build soccer stadiums in the difficult areas in Brazil. And they do so much. And they, they help the you know, the core, they support the coral reefs and the Caribbean to protect them and, pers- you know, and preserve them. And so they, they do so much charity that all from all the, it's it, from day one, everything's in escrow. And now, right now, it's being built the Academy of Arts of Cigar Family. Mm. Now, <laughs> they're going to teach journalism. You're going to have Masters of Ceremony. We're going to have a musical school supported by the great master, Duro Sandoval, 10 Grammys, you know, the Medal of Honor, you know, all these different things. You know, the great Duro Sandoval musical school, recording studio, uh, you know, as far as the plastics and all the different arts and everything. So, you know, this is recognized by United Nations. The United Nations being the model in the Caribbean of social responsibility giving back. It's called Cigar Family. Trouble Foundation Cigar Family Project. 100% that it's raised thanks to brick and mortar retailers, to all retailers, thanks to people with big hearts, thanks to people who enjoy cigars, and even people who don't enjoy cigars would have been there and see the results when we all get together with big hearts and giving back. And it's all through a cigar. It all started with a cigar. It all started with a vision, or not a vision, a dream to be able to grow a wrapper in the Dominican Republic. They took us to an area that was obsolete, unknown, unpenetrated, very, very difficult. But again, going back to crisis and going back to my father, the perseverance, one thing led to another. I think that God gave us a product that doesn't happen to normal families. Mm-hmm. To have a product so controversial and everything to become one of the most sought after uh cigars in the world and brands that was built the way it was when it was so hot that only two cigars were sold at a time 25 years later the demand has continues to grow that you have luxury brands like an lvmh company like hublot 
who uses that trademark on one of their watches and you have the collaboration was probably the finest men's luxury clothing stefano ricci with the with the fuente of sex i just think that god <laughs> this doesn't happen i'm just a humble cigar maker this god gave us this vehicle to make us aware of the needs of the community and through the Fuente of sex i think that the biggest the most important result in the product of Fuente Fuente Bosex is Cigar Family Travel Foundation. Mm. So, you know, and think about this, how this conversation started. If it wasn't for that box of A's and Marvin Shankin mm -hmm. and Rush Limbaugh that paid $20,000 that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> think about, yeah. you know, this, this, these lights and this justification why things happen. I did not know that part of the world. How many people want to give back when they have received and they feel blessed and they want to share? So for that, I'm very, very grateful. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful. To, and I won't forget. That's why I have to mention Marvin, because that's really how it all started. It ignited the first you know, curiosity. How could this be possible? Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, scaring the shit out of people, <laughs> I, I was uh, so when we had Jose on. I talked to a local shop owner to us, Mark W. at Stogie's on Grand in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I said, hey, um, you know, do you know? Gentlemen, I need one break. One second, please. Please no forgive problem, me. Brother. Oh, yeah. No, okay. no issue. So if you guys haven't seen the Fuente family documentary on YouTube, uh, it's 44 minutes long. Um, it gives a lot of the history yeah. the, and it's just fantastic. It gives yeah. a snapshot. It's put out in 2003. Um, very well done, mm -hmm. uh, to get a snapshot of, of all of the history and the, the turmoil yeah. that the Fuente family has endured over the years. Please, uh, go and watch that. Yeah. And also the, um, the hand rolled yep. documentary, which you can. Uh, you can find on Amazon. You can find on um, on Apple. Uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy movies, you can find the hand rolled documentary. And um, uh, Carlito has some some great stuff in that documentary as well. And um, we're gonna go we're gonna go into a little bit more here with Carlito in a, in a minute. But um, everybody has uh, if if you haven't heard. The, we're not going to go into the ask him to go into the full story here because it's been told quite a few times. So, the 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 history and the and the the funny, interesting story about the beginnings of of Opus X, the the origin mm -hmm. of of Opus X, which is maybe the most iconic cigar brand in the world. Um, you can you can see all about that on that uh, on that Fuente family documentary, which uh, I echo Garrett saying you should definitely go and watch that on YouTube. Um, but there's some it's it's one of those brands that that kind of transcends um understanding really it's 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 been even when it first arrived on shelves you know back in 1995 it it, it you don't you don't regularly see products in in any kind of product category that that literally take an industry by storm, but this is one of mm -hmm. those products that did. And it honestly has maintained that and grown 
that uh, that level of of uh, of greatness ever since then. So, uh, and we want to talk a little bit more about kind of the future of that brand, you know, coming up here soon. And as Liana is putting in the comments to, uh, you know, watch and follow their YouTube page. Um, the meet the professor program is fantastic. They yeah. Have great guests. And you know, all the stories that are told there are absolutely uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, today is just a snapshot of some of that, but go back and watch. Some of those videos are great. Yeah. So it looks like we got Carlito back. So go ahead. You, you ready to rock and roll, Carlito? Gentlemen, yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. But whatever you said about me, it's good. I, <laughs> you could edit it out. It doesn't matter. I'm sure whatever, but it's good. But I just saw Liana's name there, and I'm so happy that she's watching. That's yeah. Nice. So, Carlito, yeah. I, I got this picture uh, from Mark W. at Stogies on Grand and said to ask Jose Blanco what the hell this is. <laughs> So now we get to ask you. Jose too. said that was all Carlito. I have no idea what the hell that is. And it's this. <laughs> so my question to you is what the hell is this? And <laughs> what what would your father think? Well, my father would think that it's that's his son being his son. And today, <laughs> today I'm wearing um you know, I'm wearing black and everything, but look, this is, you know, we were born this way. You know, this, my grandfather, I got photos of my grandfather. We call them camisetas. This is how we grew up. You know, my grandfather in his camiseta with his fighting roosters and, and Cynthia on one side of him and, and me on the other side. It's where we grew up, you know, and, and it's really our dress. As a matter of fact, one of the first labels that I made with uh, Don Carlos many, many years ago when I first started designing things and has started getting, you know, becoming influential. I had such a respect and such a love for, I don't know, I'm like this kid, you know, like some people say like Winnie, Willy Wonka and everything, build his own, you know, build the truck. I, I go back and I see my grandfather sitting there looking at the rappers on, you know, over his knees and everything and his camiseta. And this is who we are and everything. And it was my daughter who came out with, uh, you know, I had made the cigar and everything. It, it was going to be something, you know, that we we're going to make this huge, this beautiful package for it. And I'm working on the blend and, and so forth. And was it Liana who asked that question? Yeah, she said it was my old man in PJs. Yeah. Yeah, that's what... Well, no, we uh, you, you sleep with those, but also when you have a cold, you can wipe your nose with it and everything because they're easy to wash. But, uh, but no, no, <laughs> and it was Liana that that came out with the the naked king thing, and and then I said, no, well, we got to do, we got to the naked kings is the is the undershirts, you know. It, listen, we're not kings. I don't want it to come out that way, but uh, but it's just, um, you know, I think that is. Uh, it's a way to. It's a way to teach. Mm -hmm. It's a way to teach that, and sometimes you teach with humor. And it's a way that we grew up, and <laughs> seriously, yeah, and that that is the way we grew up in our neighborhood. That's the way I played ball and everything with that white T-shirt. Yeah, and um, 
you know that that and to my my father my father never wore a dress shirt without that t-shirt underneath and i never i don't recall because i learned from my father and my grandfather i i just cannot wear a shirt without that t-shirt underneath and the only thing later on in life my life has gotten a little darker a little bit more mysterious i'm using a lot more black now because i heard black makes you look thinner but (laughs) 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 so i've gotten into the black culture but but no it but it's true it really is this is our dress this is really yeah it, it's not unusual to go in the old factory in Ybor city and you see people who are fermenting tobacco working they take off the shirt so they don't dirty and they're under on the shirt so it's part of really what it was it's and it was a way to bring humor and humanize who Carlos Fuente, father and son, really are. You're just listen. All we want to do is have fun, share the love, and bring a smile to someone's heart. And through our cigars, and through our labor, and through our work, and our passion, and it's a way. And uh, Liana has a lot to do with that. She is, you know, she's my partner in crime. Uh, she's unbelievable. Hmm. Love it. Well, hopefully, so, we'll get to talk to her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. We uh, while while you were taking a break, Carlito, we were talking about the uh, uh, the the documentary film that is people can find out on YouTube, and and you in that you go into the uh, the origin stories about Opus X, and we encourage people to go watch that. Um, but you know, Opus X being such an iconic brand for ever since it was first released. Um, what does and 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 again we're not we're not asking you to divulge any secrets but what just just kind of in a basic sense what what does the future hold for opus x is it is it always a is it always developing is it always are you always working on new things in the background to to uh surprise us with uh with things even even better than than we've had before that's that's again another good question and a question impossible to accurately answer but i could tell you what my wishes are what my hopes are what my dreams because if you have hopes and dreams you could visualize something and um yes it's not over it's 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 a saga a story that continues to develop. There is a Fuente of a Sex that's a 25th anniversary that should have been released last year. It wasn't released because of the COVID. And I'm not sure it's going to be released this year because if time you're right, I'm not going to release. Those cigars are made. The bands are made. It's, you know, we don't rush. Things happen for a reason, but you cannot mention Fuente Opus Sex without mentioning what we were speaking about recently in the last few moments about the development of charity work, developing of things and what could be done and how Fuente Opus Sex has gone beyond just a cigar. It's developed into a society is developed into a community within a community of people who is um, I don't want to compare it to any rock group because that would be very 
it would be very selfish or it would be, you know, I don't want to make it larger than what it is. But there's people, the fans of a certain style of, of a certain band and everything, they follow them. Fuente Opus X has a huge following. And we have a, a huge responsibility, which is the reason why I'm living. I'm going to make, listen, I'll be damn sure that over my dead body, something will be done with Opus X unless it's perfect. Because I know the responsibility comes with that brand. And it's more than the cigar. It's everything that it embodies and everything encompasses. There, there will be things coming out with Opus X. There's um, a development of different things, but it will never be rushed. Hmm. It will happen when the time comes. And of course, like everything else, you never know what could happen. Life brings you situations which could be something that is a crisis, but it's always a way to get that crisis with, with experience and see how you could fuse that together to evolve into a new flower. Not to be poetic, but it's, it's, Point of sex will continue to be everything that everybody expects it to be. Yeah. And hopefully, with time, more and more people will, will learn to appreciate it. Because realistically, I understand, I respect, this is the most controversial cigar that's ever hit the market. There has never been a cigar that has brought so much controversy than the Fuente of Sex. The very beginning, people said it was impossible, it doesn't exist, this and that. Then it brought a lawsuit with the Mandabis, with the Rothschilds, and, and every way. And, pe and people hate it, or people love it, and my competitors hate it and you know and the retailers hate it and you know but some of uh, the cigar lovers love it so it's 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 that kind you know what but if it wasn't a true love story and it wasn't real with 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 checks and balances and trials and tribulations and and celebrations and tragedies it wouldn't be alive and fuente of sex has become something that it's got a story. It's real. It's the first brand in history, the first, that you have a real family, not models that were picked from a corporate company to take a photograph to advertise, a real father and son who did not have a brand yet. There was only a farm, but people said it was impossible. So we were forced to kind of say the dream is real. This is a farm. We're growing tobacco. And people said it was not true. It was the first brand in history that brought a father and son with the origin in the soil and eventually developed into a brand because it started as Project X. Yeah. And that photograph of a father and son with their Panama hats, hmm. their Cuban attire, and their Guayabera. Yeah, well, that's no, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that, was, that was taken when the sun went down. We were already hot, whatever. Yeah. That was that was the photo taken before we were hot. Then we put the shirts on and the white linen shirts, which is very traditional Cuban attire. Yeah, that photograph changed the world of cigars. Mm -hmm. That brand changed the world of cigars. If I look back 
30 years ago, going back to a convention or a big show or a trade show or something, all the cigar makers and manufacturers and people who went to the event, they wore their, you know, their step, whatever, their Armani suits or they wore their whatever they wore, you know, but it was always they wore suits and their ties and they wore their best attire and everything. You go to an event today, and I guarantee you that maybe 50% will have a Guayabera and they're wearing a Panama hat and a cigar in their pocket. That's the Fuente look. Mm -hmm. You look at packaging today, before Fuente Opus X, a lot of bands were brown and white. A lot of boxes were just either cardboard or thin wood covered with paper labels and everything. You look at what Fuente Opus X that came out with a mahogany box, thick wood and everything. You look how... When cigars were mild, because at that time, the market wanted mild. Everything was Miller Lite, Marlboro Lite, the marketing companies who were the only ones that the big companies could advertise, the, you know, the sweet smell of success, sweet, mild. Fuente of Sex was napalm that was dropped. It woke everybody up. And all of a sudden, I didn't expect for it to be a big seller. It was. I just wanted to prove we could grow wrappers here, and I want to make a cigar that brought back my heritage and everything that I remember as a young boy. Oh, I thought in my mind, this is the cigar I want to make. And it took me years to finally come out with it. But it changed the world of cigars. It changed the world of the way people look, the way people dress, the way people make bands. Look at all the boxes today. Look at all the people with the heavy woods, with the boxes, with the labels, with the multi, you know, the embossing, the colors. Fuente Opus X changed the world. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, what's going to happen? You know, there's always going to be tomorrow as long as, as long as I'm around and the ticker's still ticking. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to give up. I have a great responsibility, but how do you make it better? When would there ever be another open sex? I doubt it in my lifetime. You know, things happen. You know, seriously, realistically, we, you and I are, were speaking. How do you do? How would anyone else in this world the stars were aligned it was a time when cigars were mild mm -hmm. it was a time when everything was different it was a time when packaging was simple it was before the boom cigar aficionado had just come out there's just so many things that happened i was also you know 30 years younger because 20 open sex is already 26 years but our first crop was 19, uh, uh, 1991 was our first crop. So how many years has it been? Think about it. Yeah. You know, it was a lot younger. Things were different. And, and um, but listen, how is it possible? We keep creating new things. We keep doing new things because thank God we, the farm has continued to grow. We keep buying land around it. We're growing different seeds. We're growing sun-grown, shade-grown. So we could get different parts of plant and we use it in all our other Fuente products and we tweak this and tweak that and we could do this, but another Fuente of sex. <laughs> I don't think that anyone in my lifetime will ever be able to do that. I'm sure that someone in the next generation or so will be able to make another Fuente of sex. And I anticipate or I would suspect because that would be the cigar 
that has a beautiful band and everything has been genetic, genetically engineered to give you what you want because you won't be able to depend on nature to make it better than a point of a sex. And yeah. you snap your finger and the cigar lights it by itself. That would be the next. Uh, yeah, that, that's the way you're gonna. That's the way you're gonna outperform an opus X. Yeah. So in the, um, in, in the in recent years, two of the biggest names, two of the biggest companies in premium cigars, both lost their patriarchs. So we lost Don Carlos and we lost Jose Orlando Padron, and we know. Recently, it was announced that uh, there's going to be a collaboration that you and George are going to work on together to pay tribute to those men. So talk to us a little bit about that project. Yeah, that's something <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be something very special. There's no doubt about it. Um, the respect and the admiration I had for Jose Orlando Padron is is it's up on a high pedestal. I hope it's the same with uh, with with Jorge Padron and my father. I'm sure it is. We go back um, a long time as fierce competitors. Not the recent times. Not the Jorge and Calito. No, no. I'm talking about my father and and Don Orlando. As we knew him as Orlando Padron. I know his name is Jose Orlando, and I, I discovered that after years later because we all knew him as Orlando. You know, back in the '60s. Our greatest market was Miami, Tampa, New Jersey, New York, the Cuban community. But basically, the biggest one was Miami. And uh, and then when uh, Padron came in, you know, 64, whatever, they, when they started, it was it, they would they they became very quickly. Uh, you know, they were they were very powerful. Miami with time, they became the king Padron cigars in Miami. They ruled it. But we sold a lot more cigars because we sold a popular cigar, popular price cigar, which was called Moya, which was one of the biggest sellers in Cuba. And our cousin, who was the sales manager for Balsa in Cuba, uh, registered the name Moya, but he was not, he didn't have the money. He just came from Cuba in the you know, 19, early 1960s. And uh, he offered it to my father. My father would make the cigar. He would own the brand. And he would sell it. What? Listen, it was crazy, man. We sold, I think it was up to seven hundred thousand cigars of, you know, a month in Miami of Moyas. Uh, one size it was uh, five and a half by forty-two, forty-three. Let's say forty-three, okay? Because I don't yeah. know how, how consistent they were, but I'm sure because I remember I filled many boxes and I packed. Many cases, and I used to fill many containers to go to Miami. But Padron would then came became the king of Fumas, Casadoras, and Number Fours. Mm -hmm. And so we have this relationship that goes back. We know the family had highest respect. But back in the seventies, when we were in Nicaragua, there was only when we went, we were the last of four factories that began making cigars in Esteli. Before us was. Uh, Hoya Nicaragua, which is owned by General Anastasio Somoza, who was the dictator or general or president or owner in Nicaragua at that time, who, uh, who whose factory or he he surrounded himself with the best people and he owned the factory along with his partners and the brand was Hoya Nicaragua. His partners were Juan Francisco Benmejo, 
who grew all the tobacco for for the original the original Hoya, which is a whole totally different cigar the original hoya nicaragua and uh fernando fulticiella who was uh, a cubano you know old he, he just passed away i think it was about 98 years old most people in the cigar industry they live into the 90s but uh he was an incredible craftsman incredible maestro you know professor teacher the teach he built the original Hoya Nicaragua mm. as a cigar man and Simon Camacho Simon Camacho which you're you've not familiar with the Camacho brand the original owner Simon Camacho Cubano very you know I knew well I got to know through my father uh before he passed they were the original owners of uh Hoya Nicaragua and then you had Padron and you had one other company that I remember. I don't remember of anybody else. There might have been somebody else very small, but I never heard of them, but I never saw them. René Garcia Pulido, which today we don't even know about, but it was Guardido Cigars. I, during the 70s, we got a call about, uh, about going to Nicaragua and everything. And uh, we started this company with the partners that were originally with um, with um, with Bemejo. I mean, the partner who was Somoso with Bemejo and Fondicella. And being in Nicaragua in those times, we spent a lot of time with uh, Mr. Padron because there was no place to go. We used to go to Hotel Chico. He would be there gather, congregating with other Cuban families, or which were only a few back then. And the families that were there were, were basically growing tobacco or they were, you know, preparing tobacco, stripping tobacco, or um, merchandising tobacco, raw tobacco, or bales of tobacco. So we had that relationship. And uh, moving fast forward, we always had a huge respect for each other. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, I it was always that mutual respect. And there's so many things that I don't think there's other two families that, I, that I'm aware of, or I'm that close to, that we have so much in common. I mean, the teachings of our father, I'm sure there's others, but not that I'm that close to that father and son relationship, father and sons, father, daughter, that, you know, the struggles that you go through, the revolution in Nicaragua, uh, you know, going through hard times, coming back, the era of Miami after the Cuban embargo, you know, all these things, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's a lot of similarities. And just, you know, and I became a, uh, I always had great admiration for the for say the kids, you know, they're men, but with uh with Orly and 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 Jorge, we always had a nice relationship. But during the last, I don't know, it's six or eight years, I mean, this has been going on for a while with the FDA and everything. Jorge Padron was one of the first persons I called because when we started to form Cigar Rights of America in the very beginning, a lot of people don't know this, but this was born out of S-Chip with the struggles of going through S-Chip and so forth. And my father was not was a man of very few words. But we were in, I forgot what city we were in. We were at an IPCPR and we had a gentleman from Cigar Association of America named Norman Sharp coming to address how we have to pay and this and that and blah, 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 and the government and how everybody had to get more money, this and that. And I remember my father sitting at a table with our intimate, intimate group 
of some colleagues and some people. My father says, I, I mean, you know, I, I could say it. My father says, you know what? This shit is all politics. And, you know, keep paying money to these lobbyists and these lawyers and these politicians. all bullshit. You guys are never going to get anywhere unless you take it to the people. You have to have a people's order. It's the voice of the people, which is the only thing that can make a difference. The government's going to take more money from the tobacco industry, from the cigar industry, and they're going to say yes, and they're going to have more money. And these idiots who have agreed to put a warning label and everything to kiss the government's ass to say the government, because they put this warning label that the Cigar Association of America agreed on, that they want to leave us alone, leave the cigar industry. Well, we know what happened after that. They're coming back for more and more and more and more and more. My father says, so take it to the people. And there was a gentleman sitting with us. His name is Keith Park of Prometheus International. And um, Keith Park had just gone through a big battle with California, the big, big tax. And he was able to raise some money, but he was very vocal and was able to postpone that tax. I want to say because it, it keeps coming back and keep coming back and so forth. But but he won the battle. And my father uh, said, told Keith, Keith, you got you to start an organization that's about the people. And Keith says, well, you know who? He says, I'll put the money. And uh, I swear, this is how Cigar Rights America started. And Keith called. He reached out to Jeff Borsowitz. And Jeff Borsowitz, I don't know it was Jeff or who was it. Glenn Loop and this and that. And once, because I had nothing to do with as far as reaching out to, once they told me they, they had things going, but they needed manufacturers, somebody to support from the beginning until we were able to get enough consumers to become a consumer organization. So the first person I called was Jorge Padron. I said, Jorge, I need your support. We're building this organization that's going to be a consumer organization. But we need manufacturers to get it started, to finance it. We need to be on the board. We need to protect our interests and the interests of brick and mortar. Because that's very important. Family businesses. The interests and the rights of consumers to be able to enjoy a cigar. So we called Jorge Padron first. Then I called uh, Robbie Levin, who's our partner. Then I called, you know, Eric Newman. I called the people close to me and I said, I need you to give me support. Lito Gomez, of course, I called him right away. This is our interest against big corporation and big government. So that's how, you know, that's the respect I had for Hoy because I know we had the same principles, the same common interests in our families. And during all these events that took forward, unfortunately, we were not able to, to build it in such a way that it became a total consumer uh, association that the manufacturer, the few manufacturers who are involved have, have had to support it. But going through all these meetings in Miami and so forth, Jorge and I became very, very close. I mean, we, we had meetings with big government and, and FDA and, you know, and, and I, I'm smiling because I'm not there now, but I used, I was, I was shitting in my pants, man. <laughs> I, I don't like that. Listen, I don't like to see the government, all this stuff, man. All, and you're looking at some of these people and you're trying to explain to my cigar. And I'm looking at saying, this guy is younger than my son. He's going to make a decision on my life. 
Mm-hmm. He's never picked up a cigar. No, the first thing I would say, he has no clue, but he's writing all the laws. These freaking, uh, now I'm going to say, these fucking bureaucrats. <laughs> yep. You know, that we are supporting with our tax dollars are going to yeah. run my life. Were they in Nicaragua when they were 17? No, they were in their air conditioning home or they were in their Yale University or something that they the father has a contact or a lot. It's all, you know, you start realizing what really is the tiki and the taki. They're wishing it's all about money. Yep. And uh, well, anyway, George and I were the he or her always assisted. I sat by his side. Because all through all these with the big companies, you know, and meetings with the, the big boys, I'm not going to mention the three or four of the big boys and the conflict of interest of family companies, the handmade cigars and mass produced cigars and all this stuff. And the description of bro, went, it was rough years, very rough, tough, painful, sleepless nights. And Jorge and I always sat next to each other. You always insist that because he was always so eloquent and and so prepared and had all the and so diplomatic and worked things out he was he's a smooth and smooth and he's so good and sometimes we would get into like a a checkmate that you know we're not going anywhere and he used to signal me hitting me on the side table my knee. it's the time for me to get up and hit the table say, let me tell you something guys i'm telling you we're gonna fight this with you know it's their shit up but it's a relationship that grew grew and grew and one day I'm in Miami, the events, we used to have our board meetings there. Um, um, it was most of the time in his office because that everybody was easy to get to and so forth. And one day everybody's leaving and he tells me, Carlito, you know, would you like to have a, a scotch? Everybody's left. You have to have a scotch and everything with me. You just have a scotch and listen, I don't have to be home for a while. I said, course and uh, i've said it before <laughs> to have a to have a drink a, a free drink i'm not gonna say no you know <laughs> absolutely not man you know i said okay so i remember precisely he had like a little small little room and this and that and he tells me i got what do you what would you like i have chevis because i know your father loved chevis 18 i have chevis here but, you know, and I have pinch. His father loved pinch, dimple, pinch, whatever. Dimple pinch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was his father's scotch. And I said, no, let's do, let's do, the, let's do the dimple. Let's do the pinch uh, in honor of your father because I'm here in your home. And we had a couple, we started remnant because he, had, I had just lost my father a couple of years before his father. And I was in the middle of this crisis again, you know, going through this and that. And, and I remember the moment that, I heard his father had passed because I knew he was in the hospital and Jorge kept me informed of uh, what was going on because I was calling him a lot. And uh, when he passed, I left from the, I don't do this. I don't, you know, I don't, I left from Dominican Republic to Miami because I felt I had to go because I know how close he and his family are to his father. Like I'm sure every other family, but that relationship that we had between us, I had just gone through this and I felt that, I had to find the intestinal fortitude, the strength to show up there. So I just showed up unexpected. And I remember places closed and everything, of course. And I go to the front and buzz, 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 go to the front. And the young lady comes on. I said, and she knew who I was. And I said, please tell Jorge or any one of the Padron family that I'm here because there was no, there was no visual suspicion or anybody was there. 
because the parking lot, you know, basically the cars were hidden or something. And I know that they want, they needed their privacy at that moment. And they said, one moment, Carlito. And Jorge would be waiting for you in the back. And they were, they were in a private room. I don't know, somewhere in the back. I've never been in that room before. I think maybe it was his office where his desk, a main, a main room. And, uh, and his, you know, his brother was there, his, his sister-in-law, you know, his wife was there and everything. And I remember sitting down with him and saying, Jorge, listen, I went through this. It's not easy. Uh, you're going to be fine. This is what's going to happen. You're going to, and it, it's the only thing I could tell him. I don't know. I just needed to be there. So that day we were, we're having that drink and we started talking about our fathers, of course. That's where the conversation always goes about our father, our tradition, our children. We we'll always talk about our children, our wishes, this and that. And we're like, he's much younger than I am, but we were like two old men talking about our lives and uh, the integrity of our father, the passion, how each of them were so proud of their children, of their family, and of their work. And I don't know who said it, how, how it came about, but it was like, could you imagine if uh, you make a cigar for my father or I make a cigar for your father or I said that to him or vice I don't know. But the whole thing came out that we – thought it would be a good idea and it went developing months and months after that that I would make a cigar blended that if I was to make a cigar that it would be the cigar that I would think it would pay homage to his father and that he would be happy to enjoy a cigar coming from my hand because I don't think his father enjoyed any cigar it was in a Padron <laughs> and you know, I think it's part of the old school mentality. And I don't think my father, I don't see my father smoking cigars from other people either. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing. I'll make a cigar for your father and you make a cigar for my father. A cigar that, not a cigar for Hoy Padron, not a cigar for Padron smoker, not a Padron cigar or trying to get near, making a Carlito Fuente cigar that for the love and the affection and the appreciation the admiration I have for his father, that this would be a gift from me to his father and he would do vice versa. Yeah. So that's, that's where we at the cigars. Our cigars have been in the age room. I go back and I smoke them all the time. I try them. It scares the shit out of me because it's such a great responsibility. It's going to be a special product project. You know, this pandemic has held everything back because I think something like this, the response, it's not about selling cigars, not many cigars. It's about the responsibility that we have uh, to pay tribute to people that we respect and admire and love. So I'm hoping that this year we'll be able to introduce it. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just seeing the momentum. But it's not something you can introduce if it's just not a big, 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 big uh, celebration or event, something where there's a lot of people that are going to be able to come freely and attend and not be concerned about COVID and mask and smoking and so forth. Because Jorge is a young man and I expect to be here for still a couple of more years at least. Mm-hmm. So this, this is the, is this no hurry, but this project is something very, very special. It's going to commemorate family, our passion for life, uh, the stories. There's so many details that go into this, presentation that it's just more than the cigar it's tr- it truly is a tribute like no tribute 
has been done for fathers in the history of the cigar industry. Yeah. Well, I know the I, the cigar community as a whole is is excited about it. I'm Garrett oh, and I gosh. are very excited about it, and we, you know, we know that all things come at the right time. So when when that time comes, you know, we'll be uh, we'll be lined up at our brick and mortar to pick some up, and and we know uh, so many others will as well. So we look forward to that project. Um, and I think thank you, thank you, Garrett. Thank you. Is it time? I think. I mean, Matt. Sorry. No, it's all right. It is time for this week's. Numero de los muertos. And guys, as always, Numero de los muertos is brought to us by our friends at Smoke In Cigars. All right. Here, take it away. So um, if you haven't played this game with us before, I give a number. We play at 20 questions with our guest and Matt and uh, our viewers. And we try and guess how these people have died. So on average, this is a 20 year average in the U S 62 people a year die from this every year. All right. In the U S every year on average, 62 people die from this. And Quentin, you need to take your head out of the gutter. No, <laughs> That's, um, that's definitely not it. That's definitely not it. That will never be it. That will never be the answer. Mm -mm. So just, just, just saying. Just throwing that out. Um, Carlito's taking a little break, but that's all right. We'll uh, viewers, as always, get uh, get in there in the comments with guesses. Um, all right, sixty-two people. Oh, Carlito's back. Sixty-two people. Uh, let me do this here. All right, Carlito. So. Garrett gave us the number for Numero de los Muertos. So on average, he said 62 people a year in the U.S. die from this every year. Okay, and we've got a couple guesses. Uh, it is not choking. Um, I actually just did lightning last, I think that was last week. Um, Carlito, go ahead. What do you shark got? Shark attacks? No, sir. Did that one too? That's only. Well, you know what? Florida was not in the survey then. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, no gator attacks. Susan Tobacco. Is that it? It is. Susan, to Susan Tobacco got it. We got yeah. a winner. We got a winning guess. Wow, beautiful! I'm so happy. This I love. I I love them. They're the best, man. They're Beasting. great people. So yeah. it's sixty-two. Wow. People sixty-two people a year die from bee. Or wasp stings. Wow. So, so from allergies, I assume. It, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anaphylactic shock. Wow. Well, that's uh, that was that was a quick right, one. Yeah, quick right off the bat, we get a we get a great winning guess. That was outstanding. Well done, Susan. Thank nice you. Nice so work. That was beautiful. So that was this week's Numero de los Muertos. As always, Numero de los Muertos brought to us by our great friends at Smoke In. So, Carlito, now we dive into some questions that have nothing to do with cigars. So, oh, wow. if you if you could hear the thoughts of one living person for ten minutes, who would it be and why? Wow, living person for ten minutes. Who would it be and why? 
Well, uh, I don't know who that person is, but maybe should, I. That's that's a question. Living person for ten minutes, who would it be and why? You know, that's something that is obviously is not somebody that I know because I could call them up and ask them. You know, what are they thinking or whatever it is. Any yeah. living person. I don't know who my undertaker is, but <laughs> who's going to be or whatever. But I would ask that question. You know, I would like to see what, you know, what brands of makeup and who's going to be the hairstylist. <laughs> I would like to talk to him first. I want to make sure that if, if I'm going to be visual, I want to look the best I can. Make sure that they got enough of the, you know, the ink and the dye and all this stuff to, you know, make me look like me at least. <laughs> Well, that that is something we're not going to have to worry about for many, many years, Carl. Well, God, from your words to God's ears. <laughs> but, you know, that's a question. I mean, someone living that I would, who knowing why and this and that. Uh, well, I would ask, um, but yet I don't want to, there's nothing that I could say that I would come out of this okay. <laughs> but, you know, think about it. I guess that's why you set it up this way. You guys, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, you know, that's why you got me fresh, you know. It's, but I would ask uh, Mark Anthony why he left J-Lo or J-Lo why she, they, she left Mark Anthony. All right. All right. You know, I, I would be curious about that. Because to me, Mark Anthony, the voice of Mark Anthony and this and that, and, you know, and I just thought of them as just being a great, you know, being a Hispanic, Latino, and, and seeing the, both of them like what they struggled to come together and the passion that they vibrated and everything through their videos when they were romancing and both being from the Bronx and, you know, New Yorkans and, and just, and I say, wow, what a beautiful couple, man. You know, this is, this is what life should be. Two people who, are so separate they were separated but they come together and they have the twins and all of a sudden i was really 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 upset with uh j-lo i mean i to me j-lo was like oh my god she was a goddess i was just so upset i didn't want to see her not even in print or hear her music then i find out that the skinny man is not so easy <laughs> you know that <laughs> there's two sides to every story but yeah. anyway yeah but uh i would like to ask that question why you know yeah. All right. So if you were about to get into a fight, what soundtrack music would come on? Oh, my God. That's an easy one. What's that? Well, my first reaction is, of course, it's easy. It's from, yeah, there's no question about that. But then I thought, well, I'm going to be cute. I'm going to say Jaws. That's so boom, great. Boom, 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 oh, boom, I boom. love that. Yeah, but don't forget, I'm a Florida boy, man. You know, yeah. other, you know, I know we're known for lightning, you know, Tampa Bay lightning and the lightning capital of the world, but also, you know, sharks. I'm afraid of that's one thing. The older I get, when I was young, I used to say, I know they're here, but you know what? If it gets close to them, I'm just gonna punch them in the nose. But now <laughs> as, as I get five feet from the from the trinkless of the water getting to the shore, I'm just looking around if there's any sharks around. <laughs> I'm scared shitless of those sharks. That's a great answer, Jaws. I got to remember that one. That is All right, solid. so so for this next one, Carlito, you, you have to choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman. 
You could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie, or you could score a goal in a soccer game as the goalie. Easy one. Home run is a starting baseball. pitcher in a Yankee Stadium. I'm a baseball, you know, baseball, real baseball. A Yankee Stadium because it, although I'm a Boston Red Sox fan at heart, my daughter married a Yankee. So, you know, and I know she's listening. So he might be listening to and everything. Even though I'm starting to like them little by little, you know, it's okay. <laughs> but no, 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 seriously, I love them. I love them. But you know what? That's the Cuban thing. I got to bust balls, you know. I yeah. need you, you need me, and and all that's all cool. And I always joke around with them because <laughs> I call them meathead. It's like the Archie Bunker. I know that nobody can see Archie <laughs> Bunker unless they look it up on YouTube. But right. you know, I got, listen, he's doing his job to keeping my daughter happy. And I'm doing my job being the asshole father-in-law, you know, <laughs> we're just doing our jobs. <laughs> yep. And uh, no, I, I listen, uh, I just like to, he's a great person. He worked, uh, he's an attorney working the Yankee organization for so many years and all that. And I'm just blessed on everything. Talk about family, talk about perseverance and continuity and planning for the future. I have so much faith in the future of our company because we have put together a team and he is a, a very prominent position in the team of the family. He's now headquarters working in the organization. And I, you know, what, that's why you see that I'm just so confident about the future and I'm so bubbly and, and going through the crisis because I'm never going to go over the crisis of being without my father after it's my entire life being, you know, he was my pillar and everything but that I see that the team that has been built in the fourth organization with the next generation and generations that are coming, that just brings me so much. You know what? It's nice to know that when you're going to move on to another world, that you're going to leave a, the world that you leave, you're going to leave it in good hands. And yeah. I have no doubt about that at all. Yeah. Legacy. Legacy is important. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about this week's, um, this week's Notable Smokable. And guys, as always, you know, Notable Smokable is brought to us by our friends at Ace Prime. Ace Prime, notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. So, Carlito, each week we mention, we each of us mention a cigar that we, we smoked recently that caught our interest. It was, a, it was a cigar we enjoyed that it could be something that's been on the market for many, many years that we revisited for the first time in a long time, or it could be something brand new to the market. Now, obviously for you, um, you're, you're smoking your family's product all the time, but do you ever get a chance to reach outside and, and, and smoke something from, uh, from another company? And has there been something interesting to you lately? Well, it, being in the pandemic, being locked down, I don't have much opportunity to smoke things from um, from the outside. I've the cigars that I've smoked recently are cigars that I'm tasting uh, tobacco that's developing from our from our aging warehouses uh, or cigars that are in production today, which I smoke all the time. I'm smoking today. Um, a new Don Carlos on a new uh, profile that were that's being developed, and but I have smoked cigars from other people that caught my attention. I normally don't smoke cigars from other people because I've just I have not been around recently. Yeah, but uh, but going to uh, to Miami, well, it's been over a year when I'm referring to this situation. 
I remember that we had to come in for an emergency meeting when I meet the governor of Florida, who was going to be with the president of the United States in uh, Daytona for the Daytona 500. I think the president was going to do the pace car and everything. And it was like an emergency meeting so much so that I had to get a private plane because it was important. There's only going to be three people that were going to be there. One was George Padron. Uh, one was from Oliva Tobacco Quarry. And, uh, and the other one was Alan Rubin that were going to be there. It was a last minute thing. And it was important that I came and speak to the governor, explained our situation with the FDA and to see if we could get any executive relief or anything. We were doing whatever we could. I remember going into the office and this is a true story. That's why I, I like to mention it. And I was so tired, man. I mean, I didn't sleep the night before I had to get up early, real early flight. It was, it was a private airline. There was like two other executives on there and I had to get a, piggyback ride, whatever it was. And, and uh, I remember getting to the office and there was nobody there. And Jorge, Jorge was, I said, I said, Jorge, man, do me a favor. Give me one of the, your strongest Cuban double espresso, no sugar. Want a cigar? I said, for sure. I didn't even have cigars with me. I forgot the cigars. And I said, yeah, bring me a cigar. And at that moment, Corey came in from Oliva and he had cigars with him. And he says, you have a cigar? I said, no. Do you want a cigar? And I remember he gave me a cigar. I had no intention of smoking that cigar. <laughs> and I had it in my hand. And, and then um, Jorge comes in with a coffee and a cigar, put a cigar. That's said, man, I cannot. It would be so wrong for me to get the Oliva cigar, save it, and light the Padron. Because I have gone to Padron's office other times and I enjoyed a, a Padron cigar, obviously, out of good gesture and hospitality and everything. And they're great cigars. I lit... I lit Oliva's cigar and uh, smoking and blah, 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 this and that. And, and waiting for one thing or another before we all left to have our meeting, waiting for uh, Alan Rubin, who was late. <laughs> he was driving from, I forgot, Fort Lauderdale or whatever. But uh, I, remember in a, I remember telling Corey, Corey, this is one hell of a damn good cigar. It was just on. It was by, I think it was uh, Melanio or whatever. Melanio, I don't know. Yeah. Milenio, 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 but it was it was delicious, and I was caught by surprise. And they, I don't have an opportunity to smoke some other people's cigars, but when they're good, they're good. But you, I don't have to smoke people's cigars to know that if they're good or not good, because you see that by the results of their business and their sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's there's two cigars in the world if you want to categorize them: the one that sells and the one that doesn't sell. Mm. And uh, I think it, a lot has to do with just personal taste and everything. But lately, what I've been smoking, just cigars that trying to review the cigars that we're doing, fine tuning the things, seeing the tobacco, how it's progressing and so forth. I'm smoking a Don Carlos now, which is a pro type cigar, which is delicious and very good. Because I'm trying to get more of the, you see the Cameroon, the relationship, the relation with the blend and so forth. And uh, I'm going to smoke after that, I'm going to smoke a Casa Cuba. Nice. I got I got a Casa Cuba I'm gonna enjoy uh later. But but yeah, there's there's I'm sure there's a lot of great cigars. But yeah, for me to say that I've had a cigar or so forth that somebody's given me, haven't had many visitors lately, and I tell you I miss that. Yeah. And uh for me this last week I had uh So you guys, I know listen, not for anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my P.O. box and everything special delivery because I know <laughs> For those that want to send me cigars, your favorite cigars for me to try or something, because the professor of Blanco is the only one thing I'm, I'm going to ever be able to learn anything about 
cigars and tobacco and develop my palate is to try other things. Mm-hmm. So I need, if you want to send me cigars, I'm more than happy to receive them. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Uh, this week for me, um, uh, I was gifted a protocol cyber crimes and it was delicious. Uh, it was just rich and chocolatey and delicious. So, and mine, uh, mine this week was a, uh, uh, Tatuaje Limited Lonsdale Extra Kappa Especial. Mm-hmm. Uh, very nice cigar uh, in a size that I, I absolutely love. Box Press Lonsdale. Uh, and just a wonderful, wonderful little cigar that I enjoyed uh, just a few days ago. Um, so to give our viewers and listeners an idea of some stuff that we have coming up soon, on April 5th, um, sorry, uh, yeah, April 5th, uh, we're going to talk to Chris Monaco and Jeffrey Amendola from Amendola Cigar Family Co- uh, Amendola Family Cigar Company. Sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied there. So, um, Carlito, we we just want to thank you for spending your afternoon with us on the show today. Um, we we're grateful and honored, and and we had an absolute blast talking to you and and hearing all these wonderful stories. Uh, we we look forward to hopefully someday being able to talk to you again and and hear even more stories and uh, we wish you the absolute best in uh, you know the uh, the over the next few months and we hope to get to get together with you one of these days when when the world starts to open up again so thank you. No, you're very welcome, both of you. Thank you, Garrett. I'm Garrett. Garrett, I'm I'm very curious about that cigar that you enjoyed. There there's so many wonderful and rare cigars out there. I'm very curious. The but, name, the name called my attention. Who's the manufacturer? So Protocol Cigars is Oh, a- Protocol, of course. I know Protocol. Yeah. yeah. Juan Cantel yeah. and Yeah, of course, Juan. Or- and Policia, Los Policia. Yeah. 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 A lot <laughs> of in yeah. the industry. That's that's beautiful. No, it's great. I, I wasn't aware of that name and it called my attention. But that goes to show you that's exactly what I was saying. There's so many incredible, great cigars out there and um, and people with passion. And I've always promoted, I, I believe, and I co- want to continue to be an advocate of it. We need young people, good young blood, new ideas. You know, I'm the Jurassic Park. You know, I'm the dinosaur, you know. But remember that Jurassic Park, if you ever discover one, you become a billionaire because you could have a very, very attractive, uh, you know, uh, attraction but but the thing is that you know it's it's just great to see all the young younger generation the new blood in the industry and the things that they're doing is so exciting it's wonderful there's so many great cigars out there yeah. so I'm, I, I was just curious i've never heard of it uh, the name called my attention it's it's very creative and uh i love it i yeah. love every bit of and as far as and as far as pete johnson we know whatever pete's going to offer is going to be great and everything i mean they yeah. just a great family, great cigar makers. I have all the highest respect, and yeah. it's just good. That is why that we are all able to enjoy uh, so much progress and so forth because there's just so many great chefs mm-hmm. and are you know related to making cigars and and um, so many great people in our industry, so many master blenders and so forth. When I say chef, I meant like. You know, the the blenders, the people create the stuff and so many great entrepreneurs and all that. So 
I yeah. think we, 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 you have a lot of programs that are going to be, everyone's going to be so exciting and so many things to come. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Carlito, earlier you said that, you know, uh, when you were talking about the picture with you and your father, that uh, you guys aren't kings, but I would like to, you know, go on record saying you truly are a king of the industry, but you don't walk around like one. You give proper respect and love to everybody in this industry, and you are a wonderful, wonderful patriarch of this industry and we thank you for that and um it's that's, thank it's you that's that's very kind i just i'm just grateful if it's somehow i could just earn my little my little welcoming into this great world of so many wonderful people yes yeah. yeah. i don't want any more than that yeah just i just wish that i could give as much as you know as much as i'm capable of giving I just, and, and you know what? I'm just so blessed. Like I said, I, this is the best industry in the world. People yep. like yourself and just keep moving the goalposts, making this world so much, just so special and giving so much information and sharing these stories because, yeah, you know, a cigar is like a book you know, or it's like a, it's like an opera or like any story. A cigar is a story. And, yep. and I think that people are starting to appreciate it that way, that when you smoke a cigar, you know, you talk about Juan Cancero, you talk about, you know, Pete Johnson, and you talk about anybody, or you talk about anybody in the industry. And we know there, they, there's so many. It tells a story of their family. It tells a story of their their creativity, their desire, and everything to, to achieve one thing, only one thing, to make someone else happy. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's our goal in life. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. So for all the viewers and listeners... We are grateful to you for spending time with us today and every time that we do a show. Um, we we're just uh, we're just, you know, people in this business that want to get stories out there and let people understand uh, how great the, the premium cigar world is. So if you would take just a moment, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, follow the Facebook page, follow us on social media at HBT Cigar. Just so that, because so, we don't want you guys to miss these stories. All the great people that we have on this, on this channel, we don't want you guys to miss these stories because understanding these stories just makes us appreciate the cigars even more and makes us appreciate the relationships and these, these bonds that come from the cigars that we enjoy so much. Uh, Carlito, thank you again. Uh, stay, stay on the, uh, stay on the broadcast uh, studio for just a couple minutes after we go off the air, so we can we can mention a few things to you. Um, so, uh, for, for everybody again, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, and until we see you guys next time, as always burn cigars, not bridges. I love that. Thanks guys. Beautiful. Thanks.